And we are on air for NASCAR Weekend Preview with Hot Topic Sound Off. And this week we're previewing several races at Bristol Motor Speedway. Joining me for today's show uh, is none other than Jay Huseman. Jay, All right, uh, ready to rock and roll this afternoon here as we get ready for to start that race and you were talking about already tonight. Exactly. It starts all tonight, which is why we're doing our show as a podcast uh, today on Thursday, prior to those races on Thursday night. Now, in our first half hour, we're going to preview the Arkham Art Series and the Arca East in Bristol, along with a few updates from the Arca West. Now, in that race, Jay, it's going to be exciting because there are actually three uh, opportunities for points for the drivers in this race. So we'll talk more about that a little bit later. But in that next half hour, we're going to preview the NASCAR Truck Series race at Bristol. We'll get started with our Xfinity Series uh, preview and then the Cup Series in the third half hour preview. And it says Richmond, but that should be Bristol. (laughs) So uh, all of these uh, series are racing at Bristol Motor Speedway uh, this week. So at 10 o'clock, it's time for our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off, and our Fan for Racing crew will join us for that. And uh, definitely looking forward to uh, talking about a few hot topics uh, starting at uh, our final half hour here and possibly going into a little bit of overtime. So with that, Jay, uh, let's go ahead and get started with the Arkham Menard Series and those three series that I was talking about, uh, it's all going to happen in the Bush Beans 200 at Bristol Motor Speedway on tonight at 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. Now, it will be televised live on Fox Sports 1, so if you don't already have the DVR set, make sure it's set so you don't miss any of the action. If you want to listen on the radio, it'll be on MRN and Sirius XM uh, 385 and online at 985. <clears throat> Bristol is a half mile paved oval, and uh, they are going to have a practice session for these guys from 6 to 6:45 p.m. Uh, but it doesn't say anything about qualifying, so uh, that we'll talk a little bit about that a little later. Uh, so this is going to be exciting. Uh, racing at Bristol Motor Speedway because we've got the Arca Menard Series, we've got the Arca East, and we've got the Sioux Chief Showdown. Well, here as I pulled up the entry list, it looked like that was an old one, so give me a second as I'm trying to make sure this is the entry list for this race at Bristol. But you're right, one race and three different championships all on the line as they battle out here as we close out the 2020 season or get down towards the end of it anyway, uh, really could be a huge factor in all three of those series. Absolutely. Uh, The Bush Beans 200 is the 16th of 20 races for the Arkham Menard Series, but it's going to serve as the penultimate race for both the Arkham Menard Series East and the Sioux Chiefs Showdown. So it'll be a quick turnaround for the Arkham Menard Series competitors as race number 17 is this Saturday at the world's fastest half-mile track, 
Uh, it says Winchester Speedway in Indiana, which is not true either. It's at Bristol Motor Speedway. <laughs> so that's interesting. Okay. Well, and that's what I, the, the, the entry list also goes back to the Lebanon of I-44. Okay, so, yeah, we've got a little bit of uh, confusion going on here. But uh, as far as I know, it's going to be uh, the Bush Beans 200, unless there is uh, two races for the Arkham and Art Series this weekend, uh, which is possible. That could be, yeah, they're saying that the Toyota 200 presented by Crossley Brands will be taking place at 3 p.m. Uh, with track pass with it being available on track pass on NBC Gold and the 6 p.m. delayed broadcast on MAV TV. So it sounds like they're racing uh, <clears throat> on the same day, but at two different tracks. So that's going to be rather interesting, to say the least. Here it is. The Winchester actually, okay, yeah, okay, here it is. They're racing Bristol Motor Speedway on Thursday night. They're racing the Toyota 200 presented by Crosley Bands at Winchester Speedway on Saturday, September the 19th at 3 p.m. So, again, that will be on Track Bass uh, NBC Gold live streaming. And if you want to watch the delayed broadcast, it will be on MAV TV at 6 p.m. That, that, again, this is a half-mile paved oval. Uh, they will have a practice from 12.15 to 12.45 with qualifying in this race at 1.30 p.m. So two races for the Arkham Menard Series, and like I said, it is going to be a very quick turnaround. Well, we'll start there with uh, what to watch for. Will a week, a late week, late trip to Thunder Valley turn into the Sam Mayer show? And he's coming fresh off wins at Toledo Speedway, which counted toward both the Arkham Menards East and the Arkham Menard Series ledgers, that 17-year-old from Franklin, Wisconsin, heads to a track where he swept both East races a year ago. Omer has won three of the four East races and built a 21-point cushion over Ty Gibbs, and he's looking to become just the seventh driver in the East Series history, which traces its lineage back to 1987, to win back-to-back titles. Yeah, he's trying to win the first under the Arkham Menard banner after winning the 2019 Can-Am Pro Series East Championship and becoming the youngest touring or National Series champion in NASCAR history in the process. So that's uh, really amazing what Sam Meyer's been able to accomplish at such a young age. He's still only 17 years old. But there's a lot going well, on with you- the Chief Showdown. <laughs> I was going to say, you add in that Sioux Chief showdown you mentioned, the 10-race format that brings the best of all three ARCA series together, and Mayer has even more motivation. His win two weeks ago at Missouri's Lebanon I-44 Speedway moved him five points clear of Chandler, Smith, and Gibbs. And the showdown wraps up with the Sioux Chief Power Pex 200 on September 26, and that'll take place at Memphis International Speedway, while the East uh, culminates with the Pensacola 200 presented by Inspectra Thermal Solutions, and that'll be at Five Flags Speedway in Pensacola, Florida on October 10th. So a couple of really good tracks uh, coming up here on the schedule as well. 
Actual, actually, it is amazing. Uh, they're doing such a good job of trying to get all these races in. But do you need more motivation to tune in? How about the Arkham Menard series making its first trip to Bristol since 1969? And Brett Holmes just wrestled away the points lead from Michael Self. So he's been on the fast and short tracks. He's been fast on the short tracks, finishing ahead of Self in all three races at the half mile of Toledo. We'll have to see how the high banks of Bristol factor into the equation this tonight. Well, you want another variable? And I did find this entry list. 27 cars are entered, which is the high water mark since the season opener at Daytona International Speedway. And the depth of that field will obviously magnify the impact if a driver has a bad day. But they won't get to dwell on it long, though. Mentioned that we straightened this out as we started the show. The Arca Menard series heads to north to Winchester for Saturday's afternoon race. Now, that track has held 28 previous Arca races dating back to 2017. Frank Kimmel is a seven time winner. Current NASCAR Xfinity Series playoff driver Chase Briscoe won there in 2016 en route to his Arca title. And current NASCAR Cup Series champion Alex Bowman was victorious there in 2012. Okay, you can go ahead and finish that out, and then I'll get to the crew chief piece. All right. Uh, Again, a couple more things there. Another thing to add in here to the mix, Arkham Menards Series West Points leader Jesse Love is going to be making his debut with Venturini Motorsports at Winchester. He'll be behind the wheel of the number 20 JBL Ford. One last stat, Mayor... Oh, I'm sorry. Wow, I don't know where I got Ford from there. You are correct. 20 his JBL <laughs> Toyota. Um, Mayor has won four of the ARCA races run at tracks under a mile this season. The three at Toledo I mentioned, while Chandler Smith and Ty Gibbs have won apiece. So those are the three we got to look at from the east, but keeping in mind the regular ARCA Menard Series drivers are there as well. Okay, we've got two crew chief handouts here. So, Jay, I'll do the one for the Bush Beans 200 if you want to do the one for Winchester. Uh, The starting field for the Bush Beans 200 is limited to 35. We know we've got 27, so the field is set by qualifying one through four, and the provisional process per the entry blank for 25 through 36 for the Bush Beans 200. Uh, So... That's the way this will be set. Now, it says the field is set by qualifying. It didn't say anything about qualifying in the other notes here, but uh, I'll assume that there is going to be a qualifying there. Um, qualifying with no, It says with no qualifying for the event, per the ARCA rule book, the starting lineup will follow uh, 9 to 5.1E, section which states in part when combination events are held and the qualifying sessions are not completed the sequence will be used and divided equally between the series competing in the combination event as such car owner position one for the arca menard series the sioux chief showdown and the arca east will start positions one to three uh, position two uh, for highest car owner position in the respective series, not yet in the starting lineup. The Arca Menard Series, Sioux Chief Showdown, and the Arca East will start positions four through six, 
position three in those three series will start seven through nine, and et cetera. So it's a little complicated because we've got three different series that are racing this event, this one event. But uh, it gives you an idea of how that will be set. No adding or moving tires to or from the pit box once the race has started. A maximum of four crew members may service the car, and no tires or fuels can be added outside of the break. Now, the Bush Beans 200 is 200 laps or 106.6 miles, and there will be three segments. The race will have the first break at or near uh, lap 75, the second break at or near lap 150, and the conclusion of at the conclusion of each of these breaks, vehicles will line up in the order that they were running at the beginning of the break. So that takes a lot of the pressure off the guys for the pit stop. The maximum tire allotment available for this event is as follows. Per the ARCA rulebook, maximum number of tires allowed in the pit box for use in this race is eight. Okay. For the – you want me to go into the Toyota's 200 now? Mm-hmm. Yep, let's do it. Okay. The, the starting field for the Toyota's 200 presented by Crosley Brands, that one's going to be limited to 30 – including the provisional position. The field to be set by qualifying 1 through 24. Provisional process is per the entry blank in spots 25 through 30 if necessary. The remaining 11 spots will be awarded through the regular provisional process, and the event will be run under the 2020 Arkham Menard Series rules, procedures, regulations, and specifications. For qualifying, it will be two consecutive qualifying laps, Faster lap determines qualifying position. Adjustments or repairs not made, will not be made on the vehicle after the vehicle has taken the green flag at the start-finish line, and vehicles will be impounded after qualifying, and the vehicle must qualify on their race setup. When it comes to pit stops, that's pretty much the same. No adding or moving tires to or from the pit box once the race has started. Maximum of four crew members may service the car, and no tires or fuel added outside of the brake. Now, for at Winchester, the Toyota 200 presented by Crosley Brands, via 200 laps or 75 miles, going to be run in three segments. Race will have its first brake at or near the conclusion of lap 75, and a second brake at or near the conclusion of lap 150. At the conclusion of the brakes, the vehicles will line up in the order they were running at the beginning of that brake. Now here, the maximum tire allot- allotment available for this event, per the ARCA rulebook, is a maximum number of tires allowed in the pit box for use in this race will be six. So a little bit different there. Okay, so there you have it. Two races for the Arkham and Art Series uh, and one race involving three series uh, at Bristol Motor Speedway, and that race takes place tonight. So uh, really a big, big weekend for this Arkham and Art Series, Jay. It certainly is. We almost could have done a preview show just on the Arkham and Art Series in the East here uh, for this weekend. And no it takes place kidding. at Bristol, no less. I know. Well, let's talk about the entry list for the race tonight at Bristol because that race has uh, quite a few people. Whoops, they don't have that list up. Why is Okay, uh, now back up. I did find it. Um, now I'm trying to think. Uh, on the upper right of the Arkham Menards homepage, 
go to that link for the entry list and it will pull up the Bristol one, which has 27 drivers on it. That's what I said when we started the show, I was trying to find it because I was still finding Lebanon's. Okay. Where the standings are, you mean? Uh, yep. Okay. Uh, let's see. Well, I'm not finding it, so why don't you go ahead since you have it, and then we'll figure this out. Now I was trying to think where I did pull it from, because I didn't pull it off that link at the bottom of the pit box page. Yeah, usually we well, get it right off page. of the page. Yeah, that's okay, what. Okay, so go back, back out, back out all the way to the home page. Mhm. And then it's on upper oh, right. Oh, I see. First, I got uh, it. Article, I got it. And that entry. Okay. Now I knew I, I, knew I yep, found it. Twenty-seven cars. Yep. Let's start right, from the well, bottom will, up if you want to get started. I will start there numerically by car number the ninety-seven. That's going to be Jason Kitzmiller. We've seen him several times this year. Driving the Cody Robar Chevrolet with Todd Myers as the crew chief. And then you have Justin S. Carroll in the number 91, owned by Terry Carroll. That's a Toyota and will be crew chiefed by Jim Long. Okay, and the number 87 is Chuck Buchanan Jr. for his own race team in a Ford with Craig Wood on top of the pit box. Jeff Spraker will be on top of the brick pit box for the number 63 Chevrolet for David Mayer, the third uh, in that car. So that's two more. And the 53 E, identifying him as an E-Series driver, that'll be Max Gutierrez driving a Toyota owned by Troy Williams, and he'll also be crew chiefing for Max. And then Brad Smith in the cell phone, number 48 Chevrolet, with Leo Krieger in his ear as the crew chief. Okay, Parker Ratzlaff, who had a really good finish last week, in the number 42 for Bruce Cook Toyota, will have Sean Samuels on his pit box, and Amber Slagle uh, will be pitting for the number 41 of Kyle Sieg, also a Brooke-owned Chevrolet. Let me get this next one. The number 32, Kevin Sawinski owned Chevrolet, <laughs> going to be Gus Dean. I like it. Jamie, jo- Jamie Jones be crew chief in there. And I'll start with another one of the 25s. This one, the 25E. That'll be Mason Diaz in a Kathy Venturine Toyota with Dave Leaner as the crew chief. Okay. Kevin Reed is the crew chief for the number 25 Toyota for Venturini Motorsports. Uh, driven by Michael Self, and in the number 23, the new series points leader, Brett Holmes, for his cell phone team in a Chevrolet with Shane Huffman on top of the pit box. Two very strong competitors right there in those two drivers. Championship battling contenders as well, so most certainly. Back in the 22, Chad Bryant Ford, that's going to be Derek Griffith with legendary crew chief Paul Andrews on the box. Marty Lindley, if you don't know that crew chief name, you're gonna, gonna be for the Mari Gallagher Chevrolet 21 of Sam Mayer. Okay, driving the number 20 for Venturini Motorsports is Chandler Smith. He's gonna have Billy Venturini on top of his Toyota pit box, and Mark McFarlane will be the uh, crew chief for another Toyota for the number 18 of Ty Gibbs and Joe Gibbs Racing. 
Another one involved in a couple of these battles, the 17, that'll be Taylor Gray of David Gilliland, uh, DGR Crosley Racing Ford, with Blake Bainridge as the crew chief, and Shannon Rush, uh right in the ear there, a Drew Dollar, and that's the number 15 Toyota of Bill Venturini. Okay. Uh, hold on, I went off my page here. Okay, you did uh, Drew Dollar. Okay, uh, number yep. 12 is Chris Wright for the one of the Hillenburg Fords with Trey Galgan as the crew chief. Now, Mike Sroop will be the crew chief for another handy Hillenburg uh, car, the number 10 of Mike Basham in his Chevrolet. And then we get into one of the Rev Racing machines, the number six. That'll be Nick, Nick Sanchez behind the Toyota owned by Max Siegel, Steve Plattenberger as the crew chief. And a long-time regular, the 06, that's going to be Con Nicolopoulos of the Wayne Peterson Toyota with crew chief Brad Fry. Okay, another red racing driver driving the number 4E is Chase Cabray uh, driving a Toyota with Glenn Parker on top of his pit box. And Seth Smith is on top of the pit box for DGR Crossley Ford that Haley Deegan drives the number 4. And racing number one, that is Max McLaughlin in a Toyota, crew chief by Dave McCarthy, and Wayne Peterson in the number zero, as he is the owner, but it's going to be Michael Peterson that's the crew chief for him. Okay, and that completes your entry list uh, for for that uh, team. Now, we've got a few minutes here. Let's go ahead and do the entry list, although I don't think they have it up here yet. The entry now, the list Winchester for the one is not, Yeah, that that one I hadn't come across. Okay, we do not have an entry list yet for the race on Saturday. So, uh you'll have to uh kind of keep your eyes peeled for that. Go to the arcaracing.com website. And I'm sure after the race tonight, they'll get that up as quickly as they can so that fans will be able to see who's going to be in that event. We're sorry we're not able to give it to you, but uh, we don't have it, so that's why we can't give it. Now, Jay, let's uh, let's kind of go over uh, when the next race is for the uh, – we know when the next races are for Arca East and Arca Menard Series, uh, but what about the West? Do you have that up? I, uh, I have right. it. If you don't, let's see. Yeah, go ahead. I don't have have it readily available here. Okay, they're racing next weekend, September the 26th at 3 p.m. Pacific, which is 6 p.m. Eastern, at the Bull Ring of Las Vegas Motor Speedway. So that will be the General Tire 150, and uh, I'm sure that will be available on Track Pass if you're an uh, NBC Gold member. But it's also saying NBC Sports Network. I'm not sure if that's going to be live. Usually it's a delayed broadcast. Uh, but do sign up for that NBC Gold uh, track pass because uh, that's how you can watch these races on live streaming. Okay, so there you have it uh, for the um, uh, Arkham Menard Series East Suit Cheap Showdown and the Arkham Menard Series. So uh, big, big weekend for that ser- all those series. Now, Jay, uh, we've got a couple minutes here. Do you want to cover the uh, 
what's going on with our fantasy picks so far. I know we're not done yet. Okay, well, we got a couple here, too. Uh, I didn't know if – I know we talked about the uh, – before we uh, move off of the Arkham and Ard series here, at least give an update here that we talked about the Sioux Chief Showdown. Sam Merrill oh, yeah, so by five that. points at 319. And then Chandler Smith and Ty Gibbs tied at 314, only five points off. And then you got Michael Self at 305 and Brett Holmes at 304. Those are your top five that are all within those 15 points. Haley Deegan and Taylor Gray, your next two back. A little bit more points back, but still could become a factor again with 27 entrants. This could be huge. And that's just the Sioux Chief showdown. If you look at the Arkham Menard series points, you've got Brett Holmes, who just took over the series points lead by just two points over Michael Self who is in second place, to 746 points compared to 748. Haley Deegan is in third place at 49. Then it's Drew Dollar in fourth place at 62. Those are the only drivers that I see here that have raced all 15 Arkham Menard Series races. Uh, in fifth place with only 12 races under his belt is Thad Moffat. And then in sixth place through 10th place, you have Brad Smith, Ty Gibbs with only 11 races in, as well as Sam Mayer also with 11 races in, in is in 8th place. Chandler Smith with 10 races, ninth, and Mike Basham with 10 races is in 10th. So really amazing that uh, some of these drivers haven't been able to race the entire series uh, with this COVID pandemic, it's kind of thrown a wrench in a lot of the plans that people had made. So that's why we're seeing that this year. But uh, it still hasn't changed the fact that this is a very tight points battle. Well, going over to the east side, and I'll take a deep breath here and see if I can get this in in these last closing minutes. Uh, this one, <laughs> not so much as a tight, tight points battle, uh, but some great racing. Sam Mayer, again, four races three wins, has a 21-point lead over Ty Gibbs, who's had four races, one win, three top fives. Parker Retzlaff is in third spot at minus 41 back, all top tens for him. Then is Nick Sanchez for Rev Racing at minus 46 back, as well as teammate Chase Cabre at minus 48. So they got a little bit of a points battle there between teammates. Seventh, that's Justin Carroll at minus 63. And those are your drivers that have made all four uh, races so far. Sitting with three races, 8th, ninth, and 10th, those go to Taylor Gray, Max McLaughlin, and Bob Pawlowski. Now, we didn't see Bob Pawlowski on the entry list for this weekend, so that one will probably change. And they are 77, 81, and 102 back, respectively. Okay, so Derek Griffith wants to uh, play the spoiler this weekend. Will he do it, Jay? Ooh, I'd like to see it. I like Chad Brown racing, and I know they're in building, but uh, normally I, I know that there's going to be some great battles up front, but I got to pick Gus Dean uh, just just because. <laughs> okay, well, it's so hard to pick who's going to win this race because you've got some really tough competitors in Brett Holmes. Michael Self, Sam Mayer, Ty Gibbs. I mean, the list just goes on and on with Chandler Smith's in this race. It's so hard to pick who the winner's going to be. Um, 
I, I just don't even know where to go with that, Jay. <laughs> well, and, and then all that with that we talked about, the one additional factor, it's Bristol, baby. It's Bristol, baby, so anything can happen. You're absolutely right. Okay, so let's go ahead and move on to the truck series race because guess what? That race is tonight as well. Uh, they are racing at Bristol Motor Speedway in the trucks, and uh, that is going to be the UNOH 200 presented by Ohio Logistics. That's tonight at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time, and uh, it will be telecast on uh, Fox Sports 1 at starting at 7 p.m. Eastern Time with the pre-race coverage. Radio coverage is on MRN, Sirius XM, NASCAR Radio. They'll be racing a distance of 106.6 miles over 200 laps. Stage 1 ends on lap 55. Stage 2, also 55 laps, ends on lap 110. And then, of course, the last stage ends on the last lap, lap 200, which is 90 laps long. All right, and as we get into this truck series, uh, Sharon and I are going to be uh, looking at these notes pretty hard because we're the last two to make our picks. Sharon, you get to go before me, and I have an idea where you're going, so I'll have to <laughs> pick mine out of what's what's left here as we look at this. But uh, we're going to take a look at a return this week, not, not starting this weekend, but NASCAR and Camping World announced this week that leveraging the series entitlement position to support the launch of the Gander RV and Outdoor Truck Series brand Camping World will transition back to the series partner beginning in 2021. So the series will once again be called the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series. Uh, Camping World CEO Marcus Limonis broke the news and released that new series logo on social media here in the last past day or so. Yes. Uh, how many times this year, especially at the beginning, have we called it the Camping World? <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, as a, we, we've still been occasionally doing it, so that transition back hopefully won't be real hard. Okay, why don't you take the first two drivers? I'll, I'll start this out, but we're going to take a look at the playoff drivers and how they have fared at Bristol in the past. We're going to go two by two from the bottom up, Jay. All right. At least starting with Tyler Ankrum, and he has made only one start at Bristol. It was last season. He started fifth, but unfortunately finished 20th. Todd Gillen will make his third start at Bristol. He has one top five and one top ten. Last season he finished ninth, and in 2018 he finished fifth, so has an average of 7.0. Okay, Christian Eckes has no stats because he's making his track debut this weekend at Bristol, so I'm sure that's going to be fun for him. Matt Crafton is making his 18th start on Thursday night. Uh, it's kind of two uh, ends of the spectrum here. Uh, he has four top fives, 11 top tens to his name, and he's led 129 laps and has an average finish of 10.5. Now, last season he finished seventh in this race, and on two occasions he has finished second. That was in 2009 and in 2017. All right. Ben Rhodes, he's got five starts at the track picking up one top five and four top tens. Those are some pretty good stats. His best finish was fifth in 2017. However, he hasn't finished outside of the top ten in his last three starts, and his average start of 5.6 with a finish of 
11.8. Now we got Grant Infinger. He's going to make his fourth start on Thursday night. He has two top fives and three top tens at Bristol. Best finish was fourth in 2017. Last year, 2019, he finished fifth. Okay, next up is Brett Moffat. He's made three starts in his career at Bristol. He started from the pole in 2019 and won the race. He also has one win, five top fives, and two top tens in just three starts. How can, how can that be? Five top fives in three starts? Okay. He Math is a little start. off. <laughs> yeah. He has an average start of 7.7 and an average finish of 7.0. So pretty good stats for Brett Moffat. Zane Smith has never made a start at Bristol in his career. So Thursday night, again, will be his debut. That'll make it interesting to have a couple of rookies out there never been on the track before. Gotta love the truck series. Right now, the Gander RV and Outdoor (laughs) Truck Series. But... Uh, Austin Hill, he's right in that mid-pack. He's going to make his fifth start at Bristol on Thursday night. He has one top ten in those starts coming last season where he started eighth and finished tenth. Sheldon Creed has one start under his belt last year, started 24th and finished sixth for GMS Racing. Okay, so, again, this is going to be uh, pretty interesting. Uh I'm going to, uh, let's see. We've got another rundown here of the series players in during the playoffs. I guess that is all that's left. So I'll start it off again, and then we'll go one by one on this one. The 2020 Gander Truck Series playoffs begin. This is the first race of the playoffs for the Gander RV and Outdoor Truck Series. And uh, it's the UNOH 200 presented by Ohio Logistics. Uh, The field is set now with 10 drivers all vying for the title at Phoenix Raceway. As the regular season wrapped up last weekend at Richmond, Grant Finger took home (laughs) – my screen just went off – took home another victory for for – Thor Sport Racing. The 10 drivers competing for the postseason glory are the drivers we've just mentioned, Austin Hill, Sheldon Creed, Zane Smith, Brett Moffitt, Grant Infinger, Ben Rhodes, Matt Crafton, Christian Eckes, Todd Gilliland, and Tyler Ingram. Now, Infinger will lead the field to green on Thursday night, and Brett Moffitt will join him on the front row. Again, this race is 106 miles over 200 laps. So let's uh, kind of go over some of the stats for each of the playoff players, uh, starting with number 10. All right, and that would be as they are restacked based on their uh, playoff points and all. Tyler Ankrum in that 10th spot, driving the number 26 GMS Racing Chevy Silverados. He is born on April 24, 1994, hails from San Bernardino, California. Crew chief is uh, Chad Walter. In 2020, he has zero wins but two playoff points. In season stats, he enters the 2020 NASCAR Gander and RV Outdoor Truck Series playoffs, again ranked in 10th, starting with the 2,002 points. Through the 16 races of the season, Ankrum has posted two top fives and six top tens, has yet to win a stage in 2020, but has accumulated two playoff points. He's led up. One of 
1,802 laps completed. His average starting position, 9.1, with a finishing position of 13.3. For the playoff stats, the 2020 season marks the second time Tyler Ingram has qualified for the NASCAR Gander RV and Outdoor Truck Series playoffs. In 2019 playoffs, he posted two top tens, but ultimately finished the season in eighth in the championship standings after being eliminated in the round of six. Now, that's a little different this year with the uh, two additional drivers. In 2018 is when he made his Gander RV Outdoor Truck Series debut, making two series starts for truck owner David Gillen. Ankrum became the sixth different Sunoco Rookie of the Year candidate to make the Gander RV and Outdoor Truck Series playoffs in 2019. That puts him on the list with Christopher Bell in 2016, as well as William Byron. In 2017, it was Austin Sindrick, Chase Briscoe, and Kaz Grala. Now, Sindrick and Bell are tied for the best championship finish by a rookie in the playoff era, which goes from 2016 to the present. They both finished third. Okay. Next up in number ninth place is Todd Gilliland, driving the number 38 for Front Row Motorsports Ford F-150. His birth date is May 15th of 2000. He hails from Cheryl Ford's North Carolina. He, uh, his crew chief is Chris Lawson. He has zero wins, but he has three playoff points. This season, he enters the playoffs ranked ninth uh, with 2,003 points. And through the first 16 races of the season, Gilliland has posted four top fives and nine top tens. He has won two stages and has accumulated three playoff points. He's led 92 of 1,814 laps completed. That's 5.1%. 2020 average starting position is 12.3. His average finishing position is 14.3. Now, his previous Truck Series playoff stats, the 2020 season is the first time that Todd Gilliland has qualified for the Truck Series playoffs. In 2019, he failed to make the playoffs, ultimately finishing the season 11th in the final standings. In 2018, he failed to make the playoffs, ultimately finishing the season a career-best 10th in the final standings. That's when they had eight in the playoffs. Now, made his uh, NASCAR Truck Series debut in 2017. He made six starts for Kyle Busch Motorsports. Well, speaking of Kyle Busch Motorsports, there's the number 18 Toyota Tundra, driven by Christian Eckes. Born November 10th in 2000 from Middleton, New York. Jeff Stankowitz is his crew chief. Again, doesn't have any wins yet, but has accumulated five playoff points. Enters the 2020 NASCAR Gander and RV Outdoor Truck Series playoffs in an eighth point, or A spot. Starts with those 2005 points. Through the 16 races so far, He's posted five top fives and seven top ten. He's yet to win a stage, but accumulated the five playoff points. He's led 161 of the 1,819 laps completed, which is 8.8%. And his yearly average starting position is 5.0, finishing position a little bit higher at 12.5. Previous Truck Series playoff stats, this is the first time Christian Eckes has qualified for the playoffs, so he competed in part-time Gander Truck Series schedule in 2019, making eight starts for Kyle Busch Motorsports. 
His debut came in 2018, running just four races for KBM. Now, Eckes does join Zane Smith this season as just the eighth different Snoko Rookie of the Year candidate to make the playoffs. Get on that list I previously read of Bell, Byron, Sindrick, Briscoe, Grala, and Ankrum now. Okay, are you still there? Yep. Okay. Um, I, I didn't, did you finish it? Because <laughs> I didn't hear yeah. the last, last part. Okay, number seven is Matt Crafton driving the number 88 Thor Sport Racing Ford F-150. His birth date, June 11, 1976, and his hometown, Tulare, California. He drives for Thor Sport, as we mentioned earlier. His crew chief is Carl Joyner, Jr. He has one win at Kansas this year and nine playoff points. Now, he enters the uh, playoffs for the Truck Series with 2,009 points. And through the first 16 races of the season, Crafton has posted one win, seven top fives, and eight top tens. He has yet to win a stage, but he has accumulated nine playoff points. He led 43 of 1,788 laps completed. That's 2.4%. And his average starting position is 10.9. His average finishing position is 12.2. Now, previous Truck Series playoff stats, uh, the 2020 season marks the fifth consecutive time that he's qualified for the Truck Series playoffs. He is a three-time series champion in 2013 14, and 19. In 2019, he posted one top five, uh, a runner-up finish in the season finale, and four top tens in route to the championship four-round, and ultimately his third Gander Truck Series championship. In 2018 playoffs, he posted two top fives and four top tens, but ultimately finished the season sixth in the championship standings after being eliminated in the round of six. In 2017 playoffs, he posted one top five, six top tens on his way to the championship four. For the second time in his career, he ultimately finished the season fourth in the series championship standings. In 2016 playoffs, he posted three top fives and five top tens on his way to the championship four. He ultimately finished the season runner-up to Johnny Sauter in the final standings. All right, in the sixth spot, uh, Ben Rhodes, the number 99 Thor Sport Racing Ford F-150, born uh, February 21st, 1997, comes out of Louisville, Kentucky. Crew chief is Matt Noyce, and he does have a win here in 2020, picking up the win at Darlington, giving him 12 playoff points. So he'll start at 2012, uh, 2012 going in here in that sixth position. His first 16 races, again, he picked up one win, six top fives, and ten top ten. He has yet to win a stage, but accumulated 12 playoff points. He's led a total of 34 laps in the 1866 he completed, which is 1.8%. 2020 average starting position, 7.9, and an average finish of... 9.1. Uh, previous truck playoff stats, the 2020 season marks the third time he has qualified for the NASCAR Gander RV and Outdoor Truck Series playoffs with uh, 2017, 18, and now 20. 
It was 2019 where he failed to make the playoffs, ultimately finishing the season in ninth in the final standings. In 2018, in the playoffs, he posted three top fives and five top tens, but was eliminated in the round of eight, ultimately finishing in this season in eighth in the final standings. In 2017, when he qualified, he won the second race of the postseason, which was Las Vegas, and advanced to the round of six and finished the season a career-best fifth in the overall championship standings. Uh, 2016 was his first year, and he failed to make the playoffs, ultimately finishing the season 14th in the final standings. Okay. Uh, that was Grant Infinger, right? No. No, that's Ben Rhodes. Okay, so I have Grant Infinger. I'm sorry, I'm multitasking here. Okay, number five is Grant Infinger in the number 98 Thor Sport Racing Ford F-150. His birthday, January 23rd of 85. He hails from Fairhope, Alabama. He uh, has a crew chief, uh, Jeff Hensley, on top of the pit box. He has two wins at Daytona and Atlanta. And didn't he win just last week as well? Three wins. He did. Um, <laughs> with playoff uh, points, he has 14. Uh, now, the se- this season's stats, he enters the playoffs with uh, 2,014 points. Through the first 16 races, he has two wins, five top fives and eight top tens. He has one stage win and has accumulated 14 playoff points. He's led 86 of 1,827 laps completed for 4.7%. His average starting position is 8.1. His average finishing position is 10.9. Now, this year marks the third time that Grant Infinger has qualified for the playoffs from 2018 to 2020. In 19, he made the playoffs uh, and posted three top fives and five top tens during the postseason and advanced to the round of six for the second consecutive year, ultimately finishing the season seventh in the standings. In seven playoff races of 2018, he posted one win at Las Vegas and three top fives and ultimately finished the season a career-best fifth in the championship standings after being eliminated in the round of six. In 2017, he failed to make the playoffs in his first full season in the series, and he finished 11th in the championship standings. In 16, he failed to make the playoffs due to Rolney running a part-time schedule. He only had eight starts. He finished 22nd in the championship standings and won the Talladega playoff race. All right, the four spots going to come to us out of Grimes, Iowa. Brett Moffitt in the number 24 GMS Racing Chevrolet Silverado. Born August 7, 1992, has crew chief Chad Norris, and he will start with 2,015 points from that four spot. Through his 16 races, he's posted six top fives and ten top tens. He's picked up five stage wins to build up those 15 playoff points and led a total of 213 of 1721 laps completed for 12.3%. Average starting position on the year of 5.9 and average finishing position 10.1. Previous stats for playoffs. This is his third time in the NASCAR Grand RV and Outdoor Truck Series playoffs, making it from 2018 through 2020. 
in 19. He made the playoffs and won the first two races of the postseason, which came at Bristol and uh, the Canadian Tire Motorsports Park. He advanced all the way to the championship four for the second consecutive season, ultimately ultimately finished third in the final championship standings. In 18, he was the champion. In the seven playoff races that year, he posted two wins, coming at Phoenix and Homestead, Miami, and five top fives on his way to that championship four, and then winning his first career Gander RV Truck Series championship. In 2016 and 17, he unfortunately failed to make the playoffs due to only running part-time scheduled. He finished 27th and 31st, respectively, in those standings. Okay, next up is Zane Smith, third in the series point standings. He drives the number 21 GMS Racing Chevrolet Silverado, born June 9, 1999, and resides from Huntington Beach, California. His crew chief is Kevin Mannion, and he has two wins at Michigan and Dover and 22 playoff points. He enters the playoffs in the standings with 2,022 points, and through the first 16 races this season, he's posted two wins, four top fives, and nine top tens. We are very, very impressive. He has four stages. He's won four stages and accumulated 22 playoff points. He has led 227 of 1,757 laps completed. That is 12.9%. This is a rookie, Jay. 2020 average starting position is 7.7, and the average finishing position is 10.3. Very impressive stats there. Now, the 2020 season is the first time that Zane Smith has qualified for the series playoffs. He made the play, see his series debut in 2018 at the Worldwide Technology Raceway at Gateway, driving a truck for owner David Gilliland. Smith becomes just the seventh different Sunoco Rookie of the Year candidate to make the playoffs as a rookie, joining, as we've mentioned before, Bell, Byron, Sendrick, Briscoe, Grala, Tyler Ankrum, uh, and Sendrick and Bell are tied for the best championship finish by a rookie, in the playoff area from 2016 to the present, they both finished third in points. So uh, pretty impressive stats. I think he's right up there with those guys. He most certainly is. But as they go into the playoffs, the top two, the number 16, uh, Tory Racing Enterprises, Toyota Tundra, that'll be Austin Hill, born April 24th, 1994, coming out of Winston, Georgia. He's got crew chief Scott Zipidelli, and he's picked up one win and a total of 22 playoff points, so he'll start with 2022. In his 16 races on the year, he's put up the one win, eight top fives and 13 top tens in route to two stage wins for those 22 points. He's led 219 of 1,815 laps completed, which is 12%. Has an average starting position of 5.5 and a finish of 6.8, and this is why he's ranked up towards the top. Now, this All is right, his second last... time. Hold on, sorry. <laughs> I got it. Okay. Uh, this is the second time Austin Hill has made the playoffs in the truck series last year and this year. His first season with the Tory Racing Enterprises in 2019, he made the playoffs with two wins coming at Las Vegas and Miami and finished the season a career best fifth in the final standings after being eliminated in the round of six. In his first full season in 2018, 
uh, driving for Young Motorsports. Hill failed to make the playoffs, ultimately finishing 11th in the championship points. In 16 and 17, he also failed to make the playoffs due to only running a part-time schedule. He finished 26th and 23rd in those years, respectively. And just as a note, the number 16, Hattori Racing Enterprises, won the 2018 NASCAR Gander RV and Outdoor Truck Series Driver and Owner Championship. It was with then Brett Moffitt. Okay, we're going to cover the number one guy, Sheldon Creed, and then we'll get right into the Xfinity Series. He drives the number two GMS Racing Chevrolet Silverado, born September 30th, 1997, and from Alpine, California. Jeff Stankowitz is his crew chief. He has three wins. Jay, what's going on? I'm getting a lot of feedback here. <laughs> he has three wins, Kentucky, the Daytona Road Course, and Gateway, and 26 playoff points. Uh, he enters the uh, playoffs with 2,000 26 points, and through the first 16 races this year, he has three wins, five top fives, and eight top tens. He's won five stages and accumulated 26 playoff points. He's led 204 of 1,851 laps for 11%, and his average starting position is 8.3. His average finishing position is 12.3. The 2020 season is his first time in the playoffs, uh, for the Gander Outdoor Truck Series. Uh, in 2019, he also he failed to make the playoffs, finishing 10th in the final standings. And in 18, he didn't make the playoffs. He only competed in five series races that season, finishing 33rd in the final standings. He made just one series start in 2017. That was at Eldora Speedway for truck owner Brian Hill. And he made the Gander Outdoor, Outdoor Truck Series debut in 2016, also at Eldora Speedway, driving the truck for truck owner Bobby Dodder. So that completes all of your playoff uh, drivers for the uh, first race of the playoffs at Bristol Motor Speedway for tonight. Okay, now uh, I'm going to get into the Xfinity Series right away, Jay. The Food City 300 at Bristol Motor Speedway is tomorrow night, Friday, September the 18th, at 7 p.m. It will be broadcast on NBC Sports Network starting at 6.30 with PRN and Sirius XM Radio with their coverage. They're racing a distance of 159.9 miles over 300 laps. Lap Stage 1 ends on lap 85. Stage 2 ends on lap 170, and Stage 3 ends on lap 300, the last lap of the race. All right, we'll hit a little more on this in Hot Topics, but just to give you a preview, Sam Mayer is reuniting with Junior Motorsports, JRM. They announced this week that Sam Mayer, who used to run in their late model program, and the 2019 Arkham Menard Series East champion, will reunite with JRM to begin the next part of his racing career. He will race for JRM in the second half of 2021 before taking the reins full-time in 2022, as he is only 17 right now and cannot run all of the tracks. Okay. Uh, I'm trying to figure out where to start here. Past Bristol performances. I'll go ahead and start with that, I guess. Um, All right. All right. Let me just see here, because I've got a big gap in between here that makes it a little 
confusing. Part of the outlook. Okay. Yeah, okay. The outlook following the second Richmond race, um, because they did have a double header at Richmond, uh, that covers uh, the drivers in their running order. Uh, and let me just kind of go over that. You've got uh, seven drivers that are in on wins. That includes Chase Briscoe with six, Austin Sindrick with five, Justin Augauer and Brandon Jones both have three, and with two races each are Noah Gregson, Justin Haley, and Harrison Burton, the highest rookie. Those drivers uh, with no wins, starting with Ross Chastain, Michael Lynette, Riley Erbst, another rookie, Ryan Sieg, and Brandon Brown hold off the last two playoff spots. Uh, those drivers just below the uh, playoff line here is Jeremy Clements, Myatt Snyder, another rookie, Alex LeBay, and Josh Williams. So uh, these guys are all looking for a win, I think, this weekend. So let me go back up here and see if there's anything up here that I missed. Okay, I don't think so. Okay, so let's start with past Bristol performances here. Now, with the Xfinity Series playoff grid set, uh, minus one spot, let's take a look at the drivers who still have a chance to make the playoffs this weekend at Bristol. Brandon Brown has four starts there, and his best finish of seventh comes at a race er, at the race earlier this season. He has an average start of 24.5, but an average finish of 16.8. Jeremy Clements is one of the veteran drivers with the most experience at Bristol. Friday will mark his 21st start at the track. In his last two starts, Clements has finished eighth, that was this year, and fourth last year. In total, he has one top five, three top tens, and an average start of 20.4 with an average finish of 19.9. Now, Maya Snyder is the first, and it's his first and only start at the track earlier this season, for Richard Childress Racing, he started 22nd, but he finished 5th, which is pretty impressive. Alex LeBay, making his 5th start Friday night, has the best finish of 11th in 2018 and most recently finished 33rd due to an overheating issue. He has an average start of 21.5 and an average finish of 24.5. Josh Williams has 6 starts at Bristol, and he has a best finish of 9th that came earlier this season uh, at that track, and in all, he has one top 10 and an average finish of 21.7. Those drivers are all currently ranked 12th through 16th in the playoff standings, uh, and they're all looking to try to do their very best uh, this w- this Friday night at Bristol Motor Speedway. Well, <laughs> more about them because, again, we got one race left here with Bristol on deck for the Xfinity Series regular season. There's only one spot left for a driver to make it into the 2020 playoffs. The 11 drivers that have already clinched the spot in the 12-driver postseason field, uh, Sharon kind of ran down over those, Austin Sindrick, Chase Briscoe, Noah Gregson, Justin Haley, Harrison Burton, Justin Algar, Brandon Jones, Ross Jastain, Ryan Sieg, Michael Annette, and Riley Herbst. So as a result, the main two scenarios are a new winner would clinch if he hasn't already gotten in on points, or then Brandon Brown, who currently has that final playoff spot, will move in on points. 
provided we don't see a massive comeback for Jeremy Clements, who does trail Brown by the mentioned 49 points for that uh, final spot. So we really are looking at an outside winner, and they got to go through the ones that have been winning all year. So tough task before them there at Bristol. Exactly right. Uh, now, again, Bristol is the last race for the regular season, uh, and Austin Sindrick has already clinched the regular season championship last weekend in the second race of the doubleheader weekend at Richmond. There are only one playoff spot that's up for grab, as all the other 11 spots have been claimed. That one spot, as we've been mentioning, is held by Brandon Brown based on points. Now, Justin Algauer swept the race weekend at Richmond and now has three wins to his name. His first win was the first race of the doubleheader at Dover. Now, Noah Gregson won the race earlier this season at Bristol Motor Speedway with Chase Briscoe finishing in second. Brandon Jones finishing third, Harrison Burton fourth, and Myatt Snyder rounding out the top five. Aside from Gregson, there are no other active drivers in the Xfinity Series with a race win at Bristol. Algauer will lead the field to green on Friday night with Ross Chastain joining him on the front row. Friday night's race is 159.9 miles, over 300 laps. So we got it. Okay, we're we're ahead. I was worried that we weren't going to stay ahead um, because we got behind with the trucks. Here's the thing. I do have some post, some pre-race audio here uh, from Brandon Brown. He's the driver that is uh, uh, on that bubble. Uh, let's hear what he has to say heading into this race at Bristol. He drives that number 68, Jabs Construction Chevrolet. loud and clear. Do you have video available? Yes. One second. There you go. Now we see you. Yeah. you know, we are now joined by Brandon Brown, driver of the number 68 Jabs Construction Chevrolet. And on the threshold of making the 2020 NASCAR Xfinity Series playoffs, as we head into our regular season finale at Bristol Motor Speedway. You had a seventh-place finish at Bristol earlier this year. Uh, talk us about how, talk about how excited you are about getting back to Thunder Valley this weekend. Yeah, no, I'm uh, extremely excited. Um, honest to goodness, uh, the team's been, you know, looking forward to getting, getting here, getting to this point, and uh, hopefully locking ourselves into the playoffs. Uh, don't want to jinx it, <laughs> but um, you know, Bristol is a track where I feel that we're very strong. Uh, going back to short track racing, which is my favorite, so uh, just a lot of confidence headed into the weekend. I know that uh, Doug is actually my crew chief is already looking ahead to Vegas and everything to to prep for that. But uh, you know, I'm I'm really focused in on this weekend at uh, Bristol Motor Speedway. Okay, it sounds like Brandon Jones or Brandon Brown has a lot of confidence uh, being in that 12th spot uh, that he'll be able to hold on to it at Bristol. Your thoughts, Jay? Well, I think it was kind of funny, and I know we can't see it, but uh, we, we've seen ourselves included have a problem with the audio mute button. He apparently had an issue with the video uh, mute button, but um, <laughs> you hear the excitement. He knows that he's in a good position, going to a good track. There's still that little bit of uh, 
anxiety. You heard it. Uh, he said he didn't want to jinx mm-hmm. it, but I like what he said. The crew chief is getting cars ready for Las Vegas and Talladega, the upcoming races. You know, that shows the confidence he has. He says, hey, I know you got this. I'm going to start working on next week when we're in the playoffs. Exactly right. Uh, so with that, uh, Jay, I'm going to go ahead and get into the Cup Series so that we can get that done and hopefully have time to do a fantasy update here as well. Uh, the Cup right. Series is going to race the Bass Pro Shops NRA night race at Bristol Motor Speedway. That is a Saturday night race under the lights starting uh, uh, September the 19th, starting at 7.30 p.m. Eastern with broadcast coverage on NBC Sports Network starting at 7 p.m. and radio coverage on PRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. Now, they're racing a distance of uh, 266.5 miles over 500 laps. Lap one, or Stage 1 ends on lap 125, stage 2 on lap 250, making those equal levels. And then the final stage ends on the last lap, 250 miles, uh, the last lap is two, 500, so uh, 250 laps, the last lap is lap 500. So with that, Jay, we'll get right into it. All right, well, we're going to take a look at the playoff drivers at Thunder Valley, a Bristol Motor Speedway, which is a high-bank concrete Shall we go two by two? Okay. Uh, okay. High-banked .533-mile short track. One of the most challenging venues on the NASCAR Cup Series schedule. And this weekend, the famous short track deemed the last great coliseum will hold the final race in the playoff round of 12. So four drivers. We always talk about drivers going to leave Bristol with hurt feelings. Uh, there's going to be a little bit more as four of them are going to be out of the playoffs. So I'll start at the bottom here. What do we got? Uh, unfortunately, Ryan Blaney. He's a res- residing in the 16th position in the NASCAR Cup Series playoff standings, 27 points behind the round of 12 cutoff. Blaney's postseason has been wrought with trouble since the start. At Darlington, his number 12 Ford failed pre-race inspection with an improperly mounted ballast, which resulted in a penalty. He finished 24th at Darlington and then 19th last weekend at Richmond. Now, Blaney has made 10 series starts at Bristol, posting one top five and four top tens. His average finish is a 20.7, and he finished 40th there at Bristol earlier this season after being caught in an incident. The 15th spot, that was Matt Benedetto. Now, this was his first appearance in the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs. Got off to a little bit of a slow start. Again, in the 15th spot in the standing, he's 25 points behind the round of 12 cutoff. The Wood Brothers star finished the first two races of the round in 16 in 21st at Darlington and 17th at Richmond. DeBendo has made 11 starts at Bristol, posting one top five and two top tens, including, though, a runner-up finish in the 2019 August race. Fortunately, he was caught in an incident and finished 31st at Bristol earlier this season in May. Okay, now the only rookie in this year's playoffs, 
sits 14th in the in the standings. He's just eight points back from the round of 12. He kicked the postseason off with a 12th place finish at Darlington, and then followed it up with a 14th place at Richmond. Custer will have his work cut out for him this weekend as the youngster from California made his series track debut at Bristol earlier this season. He started 22nd and finished 35th due to being involved in an incident. So certainly hopes that doesn't happen again. William Byron is 13th in the standings. He's just three points outside of the round of 12 cutoff. And the 2020 season marks just the second time that Burt Byron has made the playoffs. But in his first postseason appearance last year, he advanced to the round of 12. This year, Byron has stated the started the playoffs with a fifth-place finish at Darlington and a 21st-place finish last weekend at Richmond. Byron has made five starts at Bristol, posting one top-ten finish, and that was an eighth earlier this season. Well, those are the four that are below that cut line, but that doesn't mean they don't have pressure, these guys coming up. Clint Boyer, he's into the hanging on to that 12th and final transfer position in the Cup Series playoff by a scant three points over the round of 12 cutoff heading into Bristol this weekend. Now, Boyer has been consistent this postseason, finishing 10th at Darlington and Richmond. Boyer has qualified for the elimination-style playoffs three times prior to 2020. He did it in 2015, 18, and 19, and has advanced out of the round of 16 the last two seasons of 18 and 19. Boyer has made 29 series starts at Bristol, posting eight top fives and five, I'm sorry, eight top fives and 16 top tens. His average finish at Thunder Valley is 13.6, and he finished runner-up at Bristol earlier this season and May, so that bodes good for him. Now, Kurt Busch, he's got a grip on the 11th spot in the playoff standings. He's tied in points with Eric Almarola, who Sharon will cover in a minute, and they're only seven markers ahead of that round of 12 cutoff. Almarola holds the tiebreaker for the best finish in the current playoff round. So Bush has finished eighth at Darlington and 13th at Richmond. Now, Bush has made the elimination-style playoffs all six previous seasons from 2014 to 2019, but has only advanced out of the round of 16 three times. That came in 2015, 16, and 18. The Las Vegas native has made 39 series starts at Bristol, posting one pull, six wins, 12 top fives, and 21 top tens, with an average finish of Br- at Bristol of 14.0. So it's a good track for him, but he's got some stiff competition. Exactly. This is very, very tight. From Eric Amarola, who is in the 10th position, to uh, Cole Custer, who's in that 14th position, I think there's 12 points separating those guys. Uh, Eric Amarola right now is 10th in the standings. He's seven points ahead of the round of 12 cutoff. And he's been consistent this postseason, finishing ninth at Darlington and eighth at Richmond. The Tampa, Florida native has competed in the elimination style playoffs three times from 2014, 18, and 19 prior to this season and has only advanced out of the round of 16 once. That was in 2018. 
He's made 22 starts at Bristol, posting one top five and two top tens. His average finish at the half-mile track is 25th. He finished 29th at Bristol back in May due to an incident. Now, Kurt Busch, oops, we already covered Kurt, right? I got to go Yep, up. to brother Kyle. Kyle Busch is the defending NASCAR Cup Series champion, and he's clinging to that ninth-place spot in the standings, just 18 points ahead of the round of 12 cutoff. Bush kicked off the playoffs with a seventh-place finish at Darlington and a sixth-place place last weekend at Richmond. He's looking to advance to the round of 12 this weekend to keep his streak of making the championship for a round for the sixth consecutive season still a possibility. Now, Bush has made 30 starts at Bristol, posting two poles, a series leading eight wins. The spring of 2007, 2009, he swept. In the fall of 2010, the spring of 2011, the fall of 17, the spring of 18, and the spring of 19. He finished fourth at Bristol earlier this season in May. Well, no better place to snap a winless streak than Bristol in the final race of a round. So we'll see what happens there for Kyle. But another one we got to look at, Alex Bowman. He's eighth in the Cup Series standings. He's got a 27-point uh, cushion ahead of the round of 12 cutoff. Now, Bowman has run well this postseason, putting up a sixth-place finish at Darlington and a ninth-place finish at Richmond. Bowman has advanced to the round of 12 the last two seasons, 2018 and 19. The Hendrick Motorsports driver has made nine series starts at Bristol, posting one top five and two top tens. An average finish at the half-mile speedway, though, is a 22.6. That's not uh, not looking good compared to some of these others. And one that we got to compare it to is his teammate, the Chase Elliott. And he's got the seventh spot in the playoffs, 28 points up on the round of 12 cutoff. Now, Elliott finished 20th in the playoff opener at Darlington and then 5th last weekend at Richmond. The Georgia native has qualified for the elimination-style playoffs four times prior to 2020 and has made the round of 12 all four times. Elliott has made nine starts at Bristol, putting up a one pole, uh, one pole three top fives, and four top tens, and his average finish at the last great Coliseum is 12.6. I think the biggest surprise this year in the playoffs has been Austin Dillon. He's off to one of his best postseasons of his career, currently sixth in the Cup Series standings, a comfortable 36 points ahead of the round of 12 cutoff. Dillon has put up a runner-up finish at Darlington and then a fourth-place result last weekend at Richmond. The North Carolina native has competed in the elimination-style playoffs three times, 2016, 17, and 18 prior to this year, and has only advanced to the round of 12 once. That was in 2016. Dylan has made 13 starts at Bristol, posting one top five, three top tens, and his average finish at Thunder Valley is 17.3. Now, Martin Truex Jr. resides in fifth place in the standings. He's 38 points ahead of the round of 12 cutoff. He opened the playoffs with a 22nd place finish at Darlington, and he followed that up with a runner-up finish last weekend at Richmond. Truex has made the championship four round of the playoffs the last three straight seasons from 2017 to 19. 
He's made 29 series starts at Bristol, posting two top fives, three top tens, and his average finish at the half-mile raceway, however, is a 20.6. I want to cry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, again, those numbers are uh, not real strong there when you're talking about some of these top competitors. We're going to take a look at Team Penske here. In the fourth spot is the number 22. That's Joey Logano, 51 points up on the round of 12 cutoff. Logano has finished in the last two playoff ra- finished third in the last two playoff races at Darlington and Richmond, and looking to advance to the round of 12 like he has the last two seasons in 2018 and 19. He's made 23 series starts at Bristol, posting one pole, two wins, six top fives, and ten top tens. And his average finish at the .533 mile track, 15.3. A pretty similar there. You got Brad Keselowski. He rides in in the third spot and has secured his spot into the round of 12 already with a win last weekend at Richmond Raceway. Michigan native is also the most recent winner at Bristol Motor Speedway, taking the checkered flag at the historic track earlier this season. Keselowski has made 21 series starts at Bristol, posting three wins, six top fives, and seven top tens. His average finish at Thunder Valley 16.5. All right. Next up is Denny Hamlin, second in the playoffs, securing his spot into the round of 12 by clinching on points. Now, Hamlin's made 29 starts at Bristol, putting up four poles, two wins, nine top fives, and 14 top tens. His average finish at Bristol is 14.4. Kevin Harvick, the leader, has secured his spot into the round of 12 with his victory at Darlington. Harvick's made 39 career starts at Bristol, posting one pole, two wins, 12 top fives, and 19 top tens. His average finish at the Tennessee and Half Mile Speedway is 13.7. All right. Covers your playoff drivers. Let's look what we got up here for the next. Um, you can't eliminate this. The previous drivers that have raced their way into the 12. Let's take a quick look at the history here of the playoffs. Since the introduction of the elimination-style format of the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs in 2014, several drivers have raced their way into the round of 12 in the third and final cutoff race of the round of 16. We'll start with 2014. That was headed to Dover, which was third race of the playoffs in that year. Denny Hamlin was ranked 13th in the playoff standings and six points back from the round of 12 cutoff. Hamlin finished 12th at Dover and advanced on points, knocking A.J. Allmendinger, who had a 23rd place finish, out of the playoffs. In 2015, Dover still that third race. It was Kevin Harvick, who was 15th in the standings, 23 points back from the round of 12 cut off and Kyle Bush ranked 13th in the standings which was just one point behind it Kevin Harvick won the race at Dover and automatically advanced to the next round while Kyle Bush finished second at Dover and advanced on points and that was knocking out Jamie McMurray who had a fourth place finish and Jimmy Johnson who ended up 41st due to a mechanical issue both of them out of the playoffs alright 2016 Here, it was still Dover as that third race. 
Austin Dillon ranked 13th, just five points back from the cutoff line. Dillon finished eighth and advanced on points, knocking out Kyle Larson, who had a 25th place finish and out. 2017. This one's interesting. The four drivers below the round of 12 cut line heading into this third race in 2017, still at Dover International Speedway, is Ryan Newman, Austin Dillon, Casey Kane, and Kurt Busch all failed to advance to the round of 12 and were eliminated from the playoffs following the Dover race. A 2018, here's where we got a change. It was the Roval at Charlotte that became the third race of the playoffs. Clint Boyer was ranked in 13th in the standings and four points back from the cutoff line. Boyer finished third in that Charlotte Motor Speedway road course and advanced on points, knocking out Austin Dillon, who ended up with a 39th place due to an incident. In 2019, still at the Roval there, it was Clint Boyer again, ranked 14th in this playoff standings. Four points back from the round of cutoff, well, of round of 12 cutoff, and Alex Bowman ranked 13th in points, uh, two points behind that cut. Boyer finished fourth, and Bowman finished second at the road course there at Charlotte. Both of those drivers advanced to the round of 12, and again, that was Kyle Larson who was knocked out, uh, 13th place finish, and Eric Almarola who had finished 14th. So a lot of different things can happen this first round. This year, we're at Bristol Motor Speedway. I see uh, some big things happening here at Bristol as well. Okay. Uh, let's take a look at the clinch scenarios. The last chance to make the playoff round of 12 because Bristol is an elimination race before round two begins. Uh, so four drivers will be eliminated from the postseason at Bristol. Three drivers are locked in and moving on, leaving nine spots still up for grabs. Now, already clinched, the following three drivers uh, of the 12-driver field are Kevin Harvick, Denny Hamlin, and Brad Keselowski. Now, the next uh, set of drivers can clinch on points. If there is a new winner, the following drivers can clinch by being ahead of the 10th winless driver in the standings. Joey Logano would clinch with seven points, Martin Truex with 20 Austin Dillon can clinch with 21 points, Chase Elliott with 30 points, Alex Bowman with 31, Kyle Busch with 40 points, Eric Almarola with 51 points, Kurt Busch with 51 points. They are tied right now in the points. Clint Boyer with 55 points. Now, William Byron, Cole Custer, Matt DiBenedetto, and Ryan Blaney can only clinch with help. Uh, And that means if somebody has a really bad day, or if they get a win. Now, if there's a repeat winner, the following drivers can clinch by being ahead of the 11th winless driver in the point standings. They can also clinch if there's a new winner among Denny Hamlin, Joey Logano, Martin Truex, Austin Dillon, Chase Elliott, Alex Bowman, Kyle Busch, Eric Amarola, Kurt Busch, or Clint Boyer, and being ahead of the 10th winless driver in the standings. Joey Logano can do it with just four points, Martin Truex with 17, Austin Dillon with 18, Chase Elliott with 27 points, Alex Bowman with 28, Kyle Busch with 37, Eric Almarola with 48, along with Kurt Busch, and Clint Boyer with 52 points, William Byron with 55 points. 
Cole Custer, Matt Benedetto, and Ryan Blaney can only clinch with help, meaning they need a win or somebody to have a really, really bad day. Well, and that could certainly happen there at Bristol Motor Speedway. Have to tune in Saturday night to find out. And we're going to scroll up here. Again, Bristol Motor Speedway is setting that stage for the round of 16 cutoff. The stage is set, and the anticipation is high for Saturday night's Bass Pro NRA night race at Bristol Motor Speedway. And three playoff drivers... Three playoff drivers that ready lock themselves into that round of 12 by either wins or points for the first two races of the round of 16. Kevin Harvick won at Darlington. Brad Brad Keselowski won at Richmond. And Denny Hamlin has already clinched on points, leaving nine spots still up for grabs this weekend. The 2020 season marks the first time the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs third race has been held at Bristol Motor Speedway and the first cup postseason event at the .533 mile track. Bristol is the fifth different track in series history to host this third race of the playoffs, joining Talladega, where it was from 2004 to 2005, Kansas Speedway from 06 to 10, Dover International Speedway held it from 2011 to 17, and then the Charlotte Motor Speedway Road Course in 2018 and 19. A total of 13 different drivers have won this third race of the playoffs, as led by Jimmy Johnson, who did it in 08 and 13, Greg Biffle in 07 and 10, and Tony Stewart in 06 and 09, each of them having two wins. Three times as the third race of the truck or Cup Series playoffs have been won by a non-playoff driver. We haven't even talked about that factoring in. In 2005, it was NASCAR Hall of Famer Dale Jarrett, who was 14th in points when he won Talladega Super Speedway playoff race. In 2006, NASCAR Hall of Famer Tony Stewart was ranked 11th in points when he won the Kansas Speedway playoff race. And finally, it was Greg Biffle ranked 14th in points when he won the 2007 Kansas playoff race. So run through some of these, take a look at them here. Uh, this third race, again, this is the cutoff race for the first round, 16 down to 12. 2019, it was Chase Elliott at the Charlotte Road Course. Okay, Jay, can we skip that because yep. we're running out of time? <laughs> okay. Uh, let's see. Going down to since the inception of the playoffs in 2004, three times the winner of the third race of the postseason has gone on to win the title that year. 2008, it was Jimmy Johnson as he won at Kansas Speedway and won his third consecutive title. It was the first of three playoff wins that season, coming at Kansas, Martinsville, uh, the second trip, and Phoenix, the second trip. In 2012, Brad Keselowski won the third race of the playoffs at Dover International Speedway and went went on to capture his first series title. It was Keselowski's lone win during that 2012 playoffs then in 2013, Jimmy Johnson won the third race at Dover International Speedway, went on to pick up his sixth series title. It was the first of two playoff wins that season, as he did it at the second Dover race, as well as the second Texas race for the Hendrick Motorsports driver. The worst finish by a driver in the third 
Cup Series playoff race that went on to win the series title that same season was in 2019. When it was at the Charlotte Road Course, Kyle Bent, Kyle Busch finished 37th on the road course, but third the third race of the playoffs went on to win the title later that season. When it was at Dover, it was Tony Stewart in 2011 finished 25th and went on to win the title. And then 2006, that was Jimmy Johnson. That was in the window when it was at Kansas. He finished 14th at Kansas and went on to win the title. And from Talladega, it was Kurt Busch, who finished fifth at Talladega and went on to win the title. Last little bit here we got. In total, Bristol Motor Speedway has hosted 119 Cup Series races dating back to the inaugural event on July 30, 1961. Race was won by Jack Smith with relief from Johnny Allen driving a Pontiac. The 119 races at Bristol have produced 51 different pole winners, 42 different race winners. Includes the likes of NASCAR Hall of Famer Daryl Waltrip leading with series wins at Bristol Motor Speedway with 12 victories, including eight straight. Uh, eight former Cup Bristol winners are entered this weekend as led by Kyle Busch, who has currently has eight, and Kurt Busch, who has six. Matt Kenseth has four. Brad Keselowski has three. Joey Logano, Kevin Harvick, Jimmy Johnson, and Denny Hamlin all have two each. So some big names there and some good history at this track. Yes, indeed. And we made it. (laughs) So uh, good job there. Uh, We are about to get ready here for our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off. Uh, And joining us uh, for that right now is uh, Michael Orzel, and I believe Andy is going to be uh, joining us as well. Hey, Mike, how you doing? Great. All right. Uh, now, uh, we'll go ahead and get started. I know Andy uh, indicated that he was going to be able to come on to our Hot Topic Sound Off today, but Mike, since you're here, why don't you kick us off with the first Hot Topic? Okay, so this isn't directly NASCAR news, but it very well could be here pretty soon. Um, Yesterday, there was a big announcement that the city of Nashville has partnered with IndyCar that starting in the 2021 season, there will be a street race on a course through the streets of Nashville, Tennessee. Um, Right now, it's IndyCar only, but obviously, NASCAR has shown interest in being in the national market, and if the national fairgrounds is off the table hey, maybe a national street course would be uh, be something for NASCAR to look at. And, oh, by the way, Jimmy Johnson has already said he's going to be participating in that national race next year. Ah, that sounds kind of cool. All right, Jay, since Andy's not here, I'll go to you next. Well, we've heard this come up before in years past. Uh, if you're a listener to Sirius XM Speedway with Dave Moody, and I think it happened to be a Wednesday, and he wanted to know if this was Wild-Ass Wednesday. Uh, it's, in theory, I, I like it, but again, for stock cars, it's a little bit more of a trick. I am not saying I would be against it, but there's several things. And, and Mike, I know you're one of them, and I know it seems like I pick on you all the time, but there's things where you talk about not wanting to leave the history of and the heritage of NASCAR going Road or street course racing is not in the history of NASCAR at any point in any way, uh, unless you go back to the moonshining days. So 
I just don't see it as a NASCAR thing, but if they go that route, again, I'm sure they will do what they have to to make it happen to the best availability. But uh, that's one of those I think would be a, a little bit harder on the on the stock cars that NASCAR runs. Did you say it was IMSA or Indy? Indy car. It's going to be the Indy car series right now. Okay, so yeah, I think uh, I think that's okay for the Indy car series, uh, but I'm kind of leaning toward Jay on this one. I think I think that uh, uh, for stock cars to do it, there might be a lot of different uh, concerns there for stock car to be out on, depending on where it's at, I suppose. But yeah. It's just not the traditional thing. Not that I wouldn't be open to something new if they wanted to try it. Uh, I get the point that it could be something that could be a draw in Memphis, uh, which is NASCAR, where NASCAR is trying to make some inroads there. But uh, it uh, is kind of an untested territory, if you will, uh, for stock cars. So I'm not so sure uh, that that's going to work. I would like to see how it works out for the IndyCar series uh, and kind of see how that works out. I'm I'm kind of intrigued by that, and I think that'll be fun. Um, But maybe I'm just going to kind of hold my judgment, uh, final judgment, until after I see how IndyCar does there and where where they're racing through to, (laughs) Uh, what streets are they racing on and that type of thing, uh, and take it from there. So, Andy, where is Andy? I thought he was going to make it today. Uh, Mike, it takes us back to you for your thoughts. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm interested in seeing where this goes. Um, like I said, there's not going to be any NASCAR participation in this street course, at least not for 2021, um, or at least that, not that they've announced. Uh, they are going to the Nashville Super Speedway for the 2021 season. That was announced uh, probably about three, four months ago at this point. And based on driver feedback, the drivers don't seem super enthusiastic about the product that they're probably going to put on the, on the racetrack at Nashville Super Speedway, uh, just based on their feedback. If that race turns out to be a dud, maybe for the 2022 season, they can look into partnering with IndyCar for some sort of a doubleheader event on this national street course. Um, There has been talk about NASCAR doing street courses for, if not the 2021 season, sometime in the future. I know it's not, you know, something, like Jay said, it's not something in the history of NASCAR, but IndyCar has several developed street courses, whether it be St. Petersburg, Long Beach, or some of the others, um, so it's not out of the realm of possibilities that NASCAR can show up in town around the same time when they have this course set up, and now they can try something different. If it works, great. If it doesn't work, well, it's not like they're committed to it like building a new speedway either. So it's something that could be experimented with, and then if the experiment doesn't work out, it's not a massive commitment in resources, and if it doesn't work out, they can just walk away from it. Okay, Jay, we're back to you for your final comments. Well, you know me, if if I'm going to get involved here, it's going to be promoted and it's going to be done and done big. So I say we do it like they do the IMSA uh, road courses, put the cup cars out there along with the Indy car and run them both at the same oh, time. <laughs> okay, that sounds a little uh, daring to me. Um, uh, I'm not sure that I would go for that, uh, to be perfectly honest, but... Uh, again, let's see how the the Indy car goes, and then we'll kind of take it from there. And still, we have no Andy. So, Mike, what are your final thoughts? 
Well, I mean, that's not the first time we've had that suggested. I think going to the Daytona Road Course, there was some kind of joking suggestion mm-hmm. that they should run all three series together. You know, the, tr- the truck series, the Xfinity series, and the Cup series. So why not throw some Indy cars in there? It would, uh, it would, it would kind of be amusing to see an Indy car just blast past a Cup car, double the speed. Um, and jokes on them, if they so much as touch that Cup car, they're done for the day. So who knows? Okay. Jay, Andy is still not here, so you're up for the next topic. Well, we mentioned this a little bit earlier when we started our uh, Xfinity Series preview. Sam Mayer has been announced to join Junior Motorsports next year on a limited schedule. Again, I know he turns 18 somewhere in there, uh, hitting the tracks that he can run on, and a little bit more after he's 18, and then full-time with the team in 2022. Okay, Mike, your thoughts? Yeah, this is an interesting development. Uh, Junior Motorsports has traditionally been the developmental uh, team for Hendrick Motorsports. So it's possible that Sam Mayer could be on a trajectory that would eventually land him in a NASCAR Cup Series car. Um, There's not, aside from the 48 car, which is supposedly going to be filled for the 2021 season, there's not any immediate openings projected for Hendrick Motorsports, but things change here and there. And who knows, maybe the, the driver that Hendrick has signed or planned for the 48 car is not necessarily going to be a long-term permanent solution. Uh, there's been talk about Hendrick wanting to get an experienced veteran into that 48 car, so maybe they are only looking for a couple of years, and then Sam Mayer could be the longer-term future for the 48. All right. Now, I do know that uh, uh, Sam Mayer has raced a few of the Truck Series races uh, and done pretty well, you know, for somebody who's not racing in the Truck Series. Uh, he is uh, 17 right now. It doesn't really tell us when his birthday is. For some reason, um, uh, full-time. And, okay, yeah, it will have to be a part-time ride this year or next year, the 2020 season or 2021 season, but in 2022 he'll be able to race full-time with them. So this is a great opportunity uh, for Sam Mayer to kind of get his feet wet in the Xfinity Series and kind of build up his resume, if you will, uh, having already put in some time in the Truck Series part-time. Uh, I think he's going to do well in the Xfinity Series, and I think this is a, a really good move for him uh, coming up into uh, the Junior Motorsports Organization in the Xfinity Series. Now, he used to run in the late model program for Junior Motorsports, uh, so this is kind of a reuniting of Sam Mayer with Junior Motorsports. So uh, I, I think uh, I think it's all going to be good, and I can't wait to see what he does next year. So, uh, Jay, that brings us back to you. Let me check real quick and see well, if Andy's here. No, he's we've not. Seen, we've seen this before. William Byron was linked through Junior Motorsports in the late model series, went over to Kyle Busch Motorsports, and then returned as he moved up into the number 24. So we've kind of seen this pattern before. The other thing I look at right now is Hendrick needs, or Junior Motorsports, Hendrick Motorsports, through that link that Mike mentioned, to kind of their developmental uh, program in the Xfinity. Somebody was going to sign this kid. I mean, we have seen what he has done now, (laughs) going after his second E-Series championship, what he's done in the regular Arkham Menard Series, as well as his limited starts in the Truck Series. So uh, signing him now is not a bad thing, and I think uh, Hendrick Motorsports needs to get that tie to him. 
It's the same with every other organization, though. There is uh, a full full shed there at the Cup Series level. A couple of them, I know we go year to year. Alex Bowman, uh, unfortunately, is one of them that gets looked at. We don't know yet what's happening with the 48. So if that is a, a three- to five-year plan with whoever they put in, we don't know that yet. But uh certainly opens that line. And I noticed Mike kind of skipped over something. There is one already there at Junior Motorsports, Noah Gregson. So I don't, I don't know where he th- Mike thinks he fits in, but uh, I think his hat's <laughs> still in play there. Okay, Mike, your follow-up. Uh, yeah, I mean, even with Noah Gregson in play at Junior Motorsports, he's certainly not ready for the cup level going into next season. He's already signed a return to the Xfinity Series level at Junior Motorsports for next season. Um, but Noah Gregson's a little bit further along in the timeline than Sam Mayer. But aside from Gregson, that's about it. I mean, Justin Allgaier is most likely not a guy who is going to move back into the cup series. Uh, the eight cars kind of rotational and maybe Daniel Hamrick eventually moves back into the cup series. Maybe Jeb Burton does, but I don't think any of those guys are on a, on a clear path back into the cup series and certainly not a Hendrick motorsports car. So getting another developmental driver in the name of Sam Mayer into a junior motorsports car really sets up junior motorsports and, and by virtue of the connection, Hendrick Motorsports for the longer-term future of that organization into the later part of the decade. Absolutely. I think I think it's a very smart move uh, to bring him into the Xfinity Series. Uh, he has had tremendous success in the in the. Uh, Arkham Menard series, uh, and we didn't mention he's he's kind of uh, up there in points for the Sioux Chief Showdown as well, isn't he, Jay? He is leading that right now. So, again, we have seen uh, what he can accomplish, especially when you're talking full-term, uh, full-time rides. Uh, you know, the truck series, it's been limited starts, kind of been a hit or miss, but he has shown that talent. So I think once he gets into any of these series – and able to sit in the ride full-time for a full year, uh, you're going to see some amazing things out of this kid. Yes, indeed. I, I totally agree. I think, uh, And I think this is going to be a great opportunity for him. I'm assuming that we are talking about uh, the number eight car, which typically runs as a part-time car anyway with uh, Jeb Burton and Michael or uh, Daniel Hemrick. So uh, putting... putting uh, uh, Sam Mayer uh, part time into that ride with them is a good developmental opportunity for him. So, uh, for all the reasons that you guys have already brought up. So, Jay, did you have any final comments you wanted to make there? No, I'm super excited about it. Let's see what Sam Mayer does here to finish off this season of trying again, trying to pick up his second Arkham Menards E Series championship. Got a pretty strong hold on that, but. Just with what he has done this season alone, I mean, has been phenomenal. Absolutely, without a doubt. Okay, so, Mike, that brings us back to you. So this was an interesting one. There's been a lot of chatter this week um, linking Bubba Wallace to go to Gaunt Brothers. We are, uh, it was already announced that Daniel Suarez will not be returning to the Gaunt Brothers 96. Uh, we talked about that on Monday. But now the chatter is kind of pointing at Bubba Wallace going in there. And I would kind of blow it off, but it's being chattered about by the kind of people you should listen to during, in, in NASCAR media. You know, Adam Stern has mentioned as well as Bob Pockris. Okay, Jay. 
I thought we talked about this on Monday, but maybe maybe not to this degree. I think we did because I know I think it came out actually right as we went off the air on Monday. I think is when I first wrote it down. Oh, okay. And, and yeah, I'm with Mike. The first time I read it, I was like, "Skip it, whatever. That's just ridiculous." But as it picked up more and more steam, if all the places that we've talked about possibly falling into place come with it, Denny Hamlin being part of the ownership, Toyota picking up a backing to it, and the alliance with Joe Gibbs Racing, such as a strong one as what we've seen from Furniture Row, and then this last year with Levine Family Racing, uh, it actually does make sense. I know when we talked about the 13 of Geico uh, Germain Racing, that one possibly being it. There you're talking about a Chevy team, so it just didn't seem to make sense. This one is already a Toyota team. With that, in conjunction, it was announced Daniel Suarez will not be back. I think we did have that part of the story already. Uh, mm-hmm. It does kind of make sense and fall in line. I, I would certainly think that Toyota would be heavily involved and we'll see a strong alliance with, the, with that, with Joe Gibbs Racing, for it to be a viable um, move, being that he, you obviously think Bubba Wallace is looking to move up a level. It's, I don't even know if I'd consider that a lateral move, um, if not a step down, unless they have that assurance from Toyota that they're going to get some solid backing. Yeah, I I agree. Uh, that I know where we talked about it. Now we talked about it in the messenger. So we were we were chatting about it there, but yeah, uh, that's what I was hearing too. Is that Denny Hamlin may be involved uh, in helping to support that happening, as well as Toyota, who is saying that they want to be involved. So with that kind of support, I can't see why it wouldn't be a kind of a really good deal. They want to bring it up to the par of where Furniture Row Racing was with. Uh, with uh, Martin Truex Jr. and even even going back to uh, when Kurt Busch drove for Front Row Motorsports, not Front Row, but Furniture Row Motorsports, so uh, Furniture Row Racing. Um, I just think that uh, uh, this could this could actually work, and it could really raise uh, the bar for Gaunt Brothers uh, Racing. And uh, I, I see it as a possibility, but we've kind of been down this road before talking about the possibilities for Denny Hamlin uh, to pick up an organization or a new team. Um, The other team that kind of came to my mind as maybe being involved in all of this is the one with Floyd Mayweather. Uh, And I'm trying to think of the name of that team now. Uh, But uh, uh, I think that that might be a possibility too. But the Denny Hamlin connection just makes so much more sense uh, when you think about it. So uh, I, I could see it possibly happening. We'll have to wait and see. Right now it is a rumor, uh, but like Mike said, there's a lot of uh, big names kind of putting this out there that uh, make you wonder if this isn't an imminent announcement coming soon. Mike? Yeah, um Obviously, it's still a rumor, despite, you know, the kind of the big names associated with, with talking about it. 
Um, it's still mm-hmm. a rumor. Nothing has been announced yet, and it, it may be one of those feedback loop kind of things where one guy talks about it, the other guy starts talking about it, the other guy talking about it, and it kind of you know snowballs from there. So who knows? Um, with that said, if this does all fall into place, Denny Hamlin gets involved, Toyota gets some factory backing, et cetera, et cetera, we're still looking at a building kind of a process. Um, even with every single partner coming in, with a good driver, Bubba Wallace or otherwise, Gaunt Brothers is still going to be a building, developing kind of a thing. We saw a much more established Levine Family Racing get full factory backing from Toyota with a Joe Gibbs Racing Partnership, and they still haven't really lit the world on fire this year with Christopher Bell. He's had a couple good runs, but even throwing everything they've gotten, effectively making the Levine Family Racing 95 a fifth Joe Gibbs Racing car this year, they have definitely not been on pace with the other Joe Gibbs racing cars. And I don't think Gaunt Brothers is anywhere near the position that Levine Family Racing was going into this season. So it will still be a developmental process regardless of who gets involved there, but I'm interested to see where it goes next season and beyond. Okay. Uh, Jay. Yeah, it's definitely going to be a building year, no doubt about that. Uh, actually, maybe even a couple of years. So I have to see how it develops. First off, if it happens, and from there, of how fast and well it develops. Yeah, I don't think anybody's expecting them to come out of the gate being at the level of Furniture Row Racing. That's the goal, I think, for them going in, though, is to get it to that level. So it may take a couple of years uh, for them to do that. Uh, but I I don't know much more to add there than than that. Uh, so Mike, what are your thought, final thoughts? Yeah, there's really not a whole lot more to talk about until we get some more information about who is involved. Obviously, Gaunt Brothers. We know that they've got a they've got a charter. They've got an established team with the hardware. But those other players, whether it be Denny Hamlin, Floyd Mayweather, some other investor, et cetera, until we see more of those pieces actually be firmly announced, we really don't have anywhere to go with this. But I look forward to seeing uh, seeing where this goes from here. Okay. With that, Jay, you're up for the next hot topic. Well, that's a, that's one that uh, so many topics we have, uh, but we're still waiting for those final pieces to even really talk about it because there's so many questions of the unknown but um, another one that has come up I know we had a start earlier this season we kind of thought he came back out of nowhere but Travis Pastrana going to be running for Nice Motorsports again at Vegas interesting Mike you want to take it yeah I'm really I'm I'm starting to wonder what's going on with Nice Motorsports Um, we saw them uh, take time to Jeske out of the truck and uh, and put Trevor Bain into one of them. Now we see them put Travis Pastrana in there. I know they don't have the partnership with GMS that they had last year, and they're not having the kind of season that they had last year when Ross Chastain was driving full-time for them. But it, it almost seems like Nice Motorsports is in the mode where they're throwing enough stuff at the wall and hoping something sticks. Yeah, it almost seems like it's an audition. <laughs> Uh, these guys are auditioning for a ride with Nice Motorsports, and you're right, they're they're throwing a lot at the wall right now to see what sticks and uh, what what works for them. 
it's almost like the instead of looking at what they can be doing different internally, uh, they're looking at which driver might fit best with their program and and go from there. So uh, that's kind of an interesting approach, but, yeah, that seems to be what's going on, at least from, from the outside looking in. There's probably a lot more going on internally that we're not uh, privy to. But, uh, yeah, you got to wonder because uh, I think – I saw this week they're they're going to have like four cars on the track if I if I remember that correctly, uh, so or four uh, trucks on the track. So that's kind of interesting in and of itself. So Jay, I'm curious to know your thoughts. Yeah, all the way around, and I'm with you guys. It seems like they are definitely saying, "Hey, we got to reorganize." I'm not sure I agree with all the moves. Again, I'm not involved deeply in it. Uh, so it's not my money or anything, but uh, letting Ty Majeski go was that first one, and it just kind of caught us off yeah. guard. Um, and now to see something like this of, of uh, Travis Pastrana coming in, and I get the feeling some of that is about sponsorship dollars. I know that he uh, certainly does bring a, a different uh, demographic with him. Uh, we've seen that in the past when he drove for Roush Fenway Racing. So it seems like they really are. They said, hey, we got to reorganize some things. Unfortunately, I think that they maybe pulled the trigger a little too early with Ty Majeski, but I would love to see Travis Pastrana back in NASCAR, especially at the truck level. Okay. Yeah, I don't really have a whole lot to add there. Uh, so, or Mike, it's your turn for uh, next comment. Uh, well, with regards to Travis Pastrana, it's it's definitely wait and see. Um, I don't expect him to immediately jump into a Nice Motorsports truck and start winning races. Um, nice has been a little bit off the pace this year, and Travis has been, aside from his one appearance a couple weeks ago, he's been out of any stock car racing for, for many years. So it's wait and see. We'll see if it develops, we'll see if it goes somewhere. I hope it does. I hope Nice Motorsports gets back up to winning speed, uh, either with Travis Pastrana or someone else. But it's uh, it's just a matter of time and, and seeing where this goes from here. Okay, I'm just looking at the uh, at the uh, entry list here for Vegas, and they do have four trucks. They've got Carson Hosevar, Ross Chastain, Natalie Decker, and Trevor Bain all racing. Uh, so yeah, I see it as auditions. Andy's in the queue here, so I'm going to bring him in. Uh, to see if he wants to give his thoughts about uh, what's happening at Nice Motorsports. So uh, let me do that real quick here. Andy, you are in. Hey, guys. How's it going? I I apologize for being late. I I got a phone call like seven minutes prior to 2.30 that I had to take, so sorry about being late. But nonetheless, um, yeah, some interesting moves with Nice Motorsports. Um, You know, we're talking about a team last year that uh, went to the final four and, and won several races with, with Ross Chastain. They have been a fair amount off that mark this year, unfortunately. Um, I did find out through a little bit of research that they aren't actually receiving the amount of support uh, from GMS racing that they were in the past, which I think is a huge factor in their performance level this year. Um, you know, I, I've said this through some of our chats that we've had, but Ross Chastain is really the only one that's been able to jump in any of those trucks and, and be fast and contend in the top five or top 10, even this year. 
um, especially last year, but even this year, you know, now that they're more of an independent team. And, of course, Roth is driving a truck on um, uh, hopefully tonight. We'll see how the weather goes, but supposed to be driving at Bristol this weekend. And, you know, I, I definitely think his involvement in the team is still critical because you can bring somebody in like him that can help evaluate where the equipment's at. And the fact is, you know, through the few races that he's run this year, they still have fast trucks, but for some reason, the other drivers, even some guys like Jeb Burton and Ryan Truex, who are good drivers, still not really running that well. So I'm kind of, I look at that team as, you know, thinking last year that they were one of the big up and coming, you know, teams that would be like a GMS racing. And they've really kind of fallen back off of that this year. So to speak specifically about these moves, I was disappointed to see Ty Majewski get let go. The kid's a super short track racer. He's had a lot of success, you know, in late models, but has not translated to the truck series for some reason. And I don't know if he just wasn't getting a fair shake this year or what the case is, but you know, that is, that is the team that was, you know, a multi race winner in final four truck last year, same crew, crew chief, everything. Again, the, the technical support, not the same this year, but the team, the same. So, that's a bit of a head shaker and a question mark for sure. Uh, Travis Pastrana, you know, he does have a connection with uh, the general manager at Nice Motorsports. They used to work together at Roush uh, years ago. So I think that's probably how they got going again. And um, they did run him at uh, Kansas earlier this summer. Uh, awesome, awesome personality. Uh, it's cool to see him come back in the sport to the points that have already been made. Do I see him winning races right off the bat? I don't. But I think that if he can bring some funding to that team, you know, he certainly brings the personality. Uh, it can help them possibly moving forward. So some interesting moves they're making. But again, um, you know, I think they've uh, still got a little ways to go if they're to get back to where they were last year. Did we lose Sharon? Do we trade uh, Sharon for Andy here? Uh, we may have done that. Uh, Jay or Mike will follow up, I guess. Yeah, I was going to say, we'll see. Uh, see, uh, Hopefully we're not at that cutoff where she can. Actually, if she gets cut off, we all do. So we're still in the window where she can uh, get back in here. Uh, otherwise, we would all be out, I think, last time that happened. So uh, you're right, Andy. I, the one thing, and I think if we look at it, and I, I think back to Kyle Busch Motorsports when he had Todd Gillen and Harrison Burton he said, hey, these trucks are fast, and it's not just me that's coming in and winning. Greg Biff will come in. I think that's the way Nice Motorsports is looking at it. They know they have fast trucks. Ross Chastain obviously is a talented driver, can come in and win them, win in them. So why aren't our other drivers and other teams? So uh, it's one of those as a business decision, taking the fan aspect out of it as a business decision. They're saying something's not clicking we got to figure out what it is. We're going to try some things. So I think that's kind of what they're doing right now. Sharon and Mike referred to it, throwing something at the wall and seeing what sticks. Um, bringing in veteran like Trevor Bain, I think, is a good thing if it, if it leads to a full-time thing. Uh, Travis Pastrana, I think there, like I said, I think it's the sponsorship, maybe some money connection coming in, as well as a connection to the one of the, the crew that Mike mentioned uh, working with at Roush Fenway. Um, does have some experience. It's been a while, but at least getting another outside perspective because it seems like within the team they're not getting it out of it. So if you bring in a couple outside, see how that develops. Okay, I'm going to real quick do my thing here. Uh, we are going to go off the air 
here, and most people are going to be listening to the podcast, but in case somebody's uh, tuning in, uh, we're going to go off the air right at the 2 p.m. Eastern time mark here, and uh, we will continue recording the rest of the conversation that will be available on our podcast. That podcast is available uh, when I go out on uh, Twitter when we finish, I put a link out on Twitter letting people know that the podcast is available. All you have to do is fast forward to the two-hour mark to hear the rest of the conversation. It's part of our bonus overtime material. Again, most people will probably be listening um, uh, via the podcast on this one, but just in case, uh, we th- I thought I'd uh, put that info out there. So... Uh, Andy, you have not been able to give us a hot topic yet, so I'm going to put you at the top of the list for the next hot topic. Well, hopefully this hasn't already been spoken of this week, but um, I did want to touch on the fact that uh, IndyCar is going to the Nashville Grand Prix next year, or the Music City Grand Prix, and I want to know if you think NASCAR should move in that direction, or did they make the right call to go to Nashville Super Speedway? I think Mike and Jay might have been a little more for it than I was. I was I'm kind of a wait and see kind of girl. So, what are your thoughts, Andy? So, I think this is an awesome course. I took a look at the map of it uh, a couple of days ago, and I certainly want to see how the the IndyCar race goes. But you know, I think that there's two places that NASCAR should focus on for the future if it's to be in Nashville. And one of them is not Nashville Super Speedway. I don't like the fact that we've added yet another intermediate track to the circuit. We have too many of them as it is. I think they have a place on the schedule, but for us to add that track on there, eh, I don't know. So there's two places that I think the focus could be on in the future. One of them is the fairgrounds, which would be cool to see resurrected. And I know there was talk of it. I think that's cooled off in recent times. Uh, but possibly the street course. I think that that would, be, that would bring a lot of um, excitement. We've seen road course races be some of the better races in recent times for the Cup Series. And, um, you know, so if they could, you know, possibly focus on either the fairgrounds or the street course, I think that'd be a, a huge win. Um, but uh, I know that they're going to the Super Speedway next year, but I, I really hope that that's not a long-term thing. Okay, Mike or Jay, did you have anything more that you wanted to say on that topic? No, we pretty much covered it at the at the top of the show, or at least the top of the hot uh, top of the hot topics portion of the show. Um, I'm still with Andy. I I would like to see it. I I'm cautiously optimistic that they're able to put on a good show at National Super Speedway, but I also agree with Andy that. I don't think there are too many fans who are begging for another intermediate track. So if it's good, great. If not, let's let's get out of the super speedway game really quick and try the street course out. Okay, Jay, anything more from your end? Say on anything. So uh, I know Andy didn't obviously uh, said he had a phone call he was taking, so didn't hear her talk about this. I I'm just not sure a street course is right for stock cars for NASCAR. Uh, if they go that route, I hope it does work out and they can make it happen. The other thing, as he was talking there, though, I thought about more so. You talk about road course racing, and, and I go back to uh, having been to Elkhart Lake, um, Road American, Wisconsin. There are multiple spots where you can go around that track and watch sections of the racing. On a street course, for the fans, you're going to be very limited, and you're talking about other things 
uh, unless you happen to be sitting on top of the right building or, or window or whatever, that you're limited on the racing action you can see. Now, I know fans are going to say, again, at a road course, you can't either. But like I said, go to Road America as one I can vouch for because I've been there. You can pick a spot and see several different corners and several different areas of the racing action from one vantage point. So, but with a street course, I just don't see where you could have that. Uh, again, if you're, if you're downtown Nashville, I don't know if anybody's driven down there. Uh, I have a tough time seeing the two blocks around me where I know where I want to go and get to. So, <laughs> um, I'm not sure that for fans that's the best option. And I just don't think that you can compare the IndyCar to, to NASCAR when you're talking about doing a street race like that. Uh, thinking more of the races they've done in Irwindale, uh, I know they used to do the Toyota Pro-Am. The cars are just entirely set up different. They are bigger cars than an IndyCar, but now you're talking about adding a cost to NASCAR as far as having one specific car that is set up as a street course, not just a road course, because I, I really do believe that road courses set are designed for even stock cars, whereas a street course really isn't. Your Indy cars are low-built and can handle that. I just don't think that, that NASCAR, the cup cars would, and if they can make them so, the cost that that's going to make for one race. Yeah, I, I'm kind of in that same vein. You bring up all the reasons why I have concerns about it, I, and I'm not so sure it's going to work for stock car racing. Uh, I, I do. One thought does occur to me, though, with the uh, uh, championship being in Memphis, I could see them doing a parade route on the street with the stock cars as kind of a, a exhibition kind of thing, uh, an exhibition parade of the playoff drivers uh but that's that's about the only thing that comes to my mind that could be an alternative to that i i i'm like i say i'm just gonna wait and see so andy i want to hear your thoughts and follow up well to follow up i i do know exactly what jay's talking about having been downtown nashville a few times it probably would be tough to see a lot if you're down low so I would say go get on the roof of a hotel. <laughs> you should be able to see pretty good from there. <laughs> but um, yeah, viewpoint, you know, viewpoint from a viewpoint standpoint, it um, it could be a little bit challenging. But I, I'm really curious. This is you know something that I would probably tune in and, and check out and and see how it goes next year. But you know, I know that NASCAR has talked about the possibility of, of street courses in the future, and I would say depending on the buzz and excitement that goes with this new race, you, you could see that become a possibility in the future. Okay. Uh, Mike, let's go to you for the next topic. All right, changing gears for a little bit, NASCAR has released an update about fan availability for the upcoming races for the remainder of the season. And just to give a quick rundown, uh, Bristol had 30,000 seats available. All seats are sold out for this weekend's races. Um, so if you uh, if you want to go to the Bristol race, go to the parking lot, and hopefully you can find somebody selling a ticket there, and that's going to be your only chance to get in. Uh, looking a little bit further into the future, Las Vegas Motor Speedway hasn't announced any plans. It's still TBD. Texas, or I'm sorry, Talladega will allow fans. They said a reduced number. They didn't give a specific number of tickets that are going to be available. But I know that track seats somewhere like 125,000. So even if you're looking at a 10% capacity, there's a, there's a decent number of tickets that could potentially be available for Talladega on October 4th. Uh, the Charlotte Roval also to be determined. The track would like to host fans, uh, but the proposal is currently being reviewed 
reviewed by North Carolina's government. Kansas Speedway, again, limited number of fans, no number announced. Texas Motor Speedway, 50% of capacity is permitted. I believe Texas has 150,000 seats, so I ain't no mathematician, but that says we could have up to 75,000 fans available at Texas. Uh, They don't say whether it's cup only or for the whole weekend or or what the actual uh, events that are offered, but it does look like there's going to be a decent availability at Texas. Martinsville, to be determined, and Phoenix Raceway, a limited number of fans for all three days, uh, but again, no specific number of who or, or what number of fans will be available for the Phoenix race. Okay, so Mike brought that up. Uh, Andy, let's go to you next. Um, as far as thoughts go, I mean, obviously, um, it's been it's been tough to see, or it's been tough to have you know, fans go to many of these races. So it's at least nice to see some of these tracks um, opening things up a little bit, but uh, it is, it's been pretty restricted and still fairly restricted through the end of the year. In fact, um, Bristol, I believe is the first racetrack of any of the top three series that will allow fans two days in a row. Um, They're going to have, people tomorrow night myself included and then clean it and somehow deep clean it i guess and then have a bunch more uh saturday night um which is cool i wish more tracks did that i think that this is only the second xfinity race that's even allowed fans since they came back in may so um i think that part of it to me has been disappointing that they've only allowed people in you know in and not even everywhere it's only been at you know what maybe eight to ten maybe less facilities so far since uh may um, but it is encouraging on the same level to see that they're slowly getting people back into the grandstands. But the big question mark for me is Vegas. The race is like a week and a half away, and they still haven't figured that out yet. So I don't know what's going to happen there. Sounds like it would probably be cup only. I think, like Mike said, Talladega is cup only. I think Texas is just cup only, which includes the truck race prior to it. Phoenix, to put a number on it, they said 8,400 roughly per day, and it will be for all three races, which I think is – I think that's good. That's the that's one of the positives I see out of the remaining schedule because that's our championship weekend. You know, that's where all the buzz and everything is going to be to close out the season. You've got to have fans there for that. So I'm, I'm pretty excited that um, even if it is only a reduced capacity, that they'll have people for all three races that weekend – um, but, um, yeah, I think what Martinsville, we don't know yet. The Roval, we don't know yet. Kansas is just cup only, I think on Sunday. So, you know, it's been for those of us trying to go to these races, it's been really tough to try to do anything this year. So, um, you know, but it's at least encouraging to see that they're slowly bringing people back in. And I hope that the trend continues, uh, in a bigger way for next year. I will say this. Um, you know, I know there's some skeptics out there that, that don't think it's smart, but there have not been any COVID outbreaks that have resulted from any of these races that have been held with fans. You know, having been to one this summer, you know, the social distancing works well. Everyone wore their masks unless you were sitting in your seats. You know, every the tickets, um, to Mike's point, you can't just buy one off the street from someone like you used to be able to in the parking lot. It's all digital it's all over apps. You know, they don't actually have paper tickets anymore. Um, it's just, you know, you, they scan your phone, you go in that way, you have to buy them straight through the track or online. So they've really cut down on, you know, touching, you know, as far as like touching things and, you know, trying to, trying to keep people safe. Right. And I think that's been the goal. So, 
Um, I think the tracks that have allowed fans have done a really, really good job at, uh, with the distancing and, and pol- policies in place. So it's been, uh, it's been good, you know, and I hope that, like I said, that other tracks follow suit and we see more people allowed back next year for more of the series too. Okay, Jay, you're up next on this topic. Well, I don't I don't want to get into the whole situation with the COVID. Uh, again, I know everybody's got their opinion on what's being done and whether or not there's a real issue. I will say this because, again, I have to deal with this uh, personally. It's not just about me as an individual. If they open it up and I say I want to go, uh, I'm getting ready to go up and visit my parents, okay? They're they're older, obviously older than me. Uh, if, if you're not uh, real good at math, they're about 20, 24 years older than me. Um but their concern with me coming up to see them is the places I have been. It's not about the outbreak at where I'm at. It's if I happen to pick it up of where I carry it to. Some of the states I'm going to travel through to get to where they're at, you know, where they're at. So th- there's some concern there. So it's not just, like I said, about me as a fan and being able to go. The concern is is still the, the spread. Um, and like I said, I don't want to get it real in-depth with that. If if they are saying, hey, we feel it's safe, we're putting in these procedures, those that want to go, go, those that don't, don't. But there is still some outside effect of that, like I said, what carries outward down the road. So I understand they are. I like to see the fact that we're taking steps. I know Mississippi just recently for restaurants went from 50% capacity to 75%. So they feel that we're going in a good direction, still not opening it wide up but taking steps and then letting that settle and see how it goes. So, again, I think NASCAR and these tracks, everybody's doing the, the smart and prudent thing. Um, I obviously, as a fan, would like to see it and, and be able to go. <clears throat> I know uh, I think uh, talking about a lot about Las Vegas, I know it's only in two weeks. I think theirs was it was the proposal was with the government, and they were working it from that end. So, uh, yeah, it might be a short notice that you can get tickets uh, out there. Um, if you can make a short trip or again from the local area, uh, that might benefit the most from it being that it might be a short notice, uh, type deal. Okay. Uh, I'll skip me on this and we'll go to Mike. Yeah, I'm very much in favor of getting fans back to the racetrack or giving them the opportunity. Obviously, no one's being obligated to go to this, but giving fans the opportunity that if their personal health and family and circle of, you know, social circle, if that health situation allows them, giving them the opportunity to go to the racetrack and take these races in in person. Um, The fans have been missing this year, noticeably missing. Um, and the drivers have mentioned it. It's very obvious on TV. That is a, a key aspect of these races that, by and large, just has been missing this year. And we need to get the fans back to the racetrack. In addition to that, a lot of these racetracks, they, their entire existence, and, and in some cases the town's existence where the racetrack is, depends on these, uh, these races bringing in those thousands of fans in order for the local economy to, to persist. Some places like Texas or Las Vegas, 
their local economy is probably in a situation where they don't rely on the racetrack and uh, the fans that the racetrack draws to keep them afloat. But places like Darlington or Martinsville, they're kind of out in the middle of nowhere, and the, the annual one or two races that those tracks bring are a massive part of the yearly economy for those areas. So getting those fans the opportunity to go to the race not only benefits the, the sport, but it also benefits the local community where those racetracks exist. Okay. Um, Andy, follow-up. Yeah, I, I, you know, that Mike's got a good point there. Obviously, uh, you know, having fans come in, supports the local economy, you know, and it supports all these regions where these racetracks are located. You can see why they've restricted it just from, I think, weariness and and, um, bringing a bunch of people together because it it could lend itself to outbreaks, which we have seen. But, you know, that's what I've been so impressed with is that uh, there have been no COVID outbreaks meant to anyone that's attended these races, which tells me the procedures in place have been working. So, and also to Mike's point, you know, there's no obligation to go. You know, I see people online saying it's not safe and it's like, well, fine, don't go, you know, no one's making you go. So um, I can totally understand um, those, you know, that are apprehensive or may not want to go for various reasons. I get it. I'm, of the mindset that my job causes me to be in the public eye in public settings every single week. So I'm more apt to go to something like this and not think twice about it because of what I'm subjected to on a weekly basis. But there's others who don't have to do what I do. And, you know, if you can take it easy and maybe not subject yourself to this, then I get it. Totally understand it. But, you know, like I said, for someone like me, like it's just more of the same. So it's, it's really no big deal. I don't feel like, Jay or Andy? Andy? Oh, Did we Andy. lose Andy? No, uh, okay. my, my follow-up. That was my follow-up, so I'm good. Okay, so Jay, your follow-up. Yeah, no, I, I got nothing more to add. I mean, I, I, I kind of agree with Andy. It is that person's uh, decision. I just hope they do make it. Like I said, it, you know, it, it's not just a matter of you getting it at the track. It's, it's what you bring out and later on down the road. And we each all got to make that own decision for our lives. Our, like he said, our group of uh, friends that we hang around or people we do hang around, whether they be friends or not, I guess, um, you know, so uh, things to consider, but I, I do believe that that option should be available as they do it prudently and, and do have the uh, measures in place to try and minimize it or prevent it. Okay. Now, I know we've got a late-breaking hot topic that's come out here. So, Jay, why don't you go ahead and introduce that? Well, yeah, just come across it in the Sharon. uh, Apparently, we're doing the uh, same thing Mm -hmm. there, as you said. You had just reading it as well. Bob Pockris reporting, and uh, pull that tweet Internet to work. D. Benedetto is saying... The deadline for Team Penske to inform him on whether it picks up his option for 2021 is the end of September. He obviously would like to continue in the 21 Road Brothers car uh, into the future. So that was something that we kind of had in play for the 48, and I'll hold mine here until the end. Okay, Mike, your thoughts? Yeah, I'm, I'm a huge Matthew Benedetto fan. I'm, I'm pretty sure everyone's kind of figured that part out. And I'm pretty yeah. sure when Bob was you referencing. Are? Yeah, 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, I'm pretty sure when Bob is referencing Team Penske, he is referring to the Wood Brothers 21 car, which is obviously a Penske satellite team. Uh, I don't think there's any chance of, of Matt Benedetto getting picked up to go to one of the three Team Penske proper cars. All of those have already been announced for uh, well, the respective drivers returning to those cars. So this would be whether Matt Benedetto returns to the 21 car or not. He is on a one-year deal, so there is nothing firmly confirmed. Um, and he's been doing fairly well. That's uh, he, he took the car to the playoffs. Maybe things aren't looking so hot for this weekend unless he wins the race, but that team has definitely improved in their performance with Matt Benedetto driving the car, uh, and they're a really good fit. If you follow them on Twitter or any of the other social media, man, they're like Diet Coke and Mentos. They go together really, really well. So I'd like to see Matt re- return to the 21 car. I think it's a good home for him. And uh, I think uh, I, I think a long-term future uh, would be great for that for both the team and the driver. Diet Coke and Mentos. Okay, Andy, your thoughts. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I agree. I, I think that uh, it's a great combination. It's a great fit. I think that although winless this year, they've run well enough, obviously, to make the playoffs, which is a step in the right direction uh, from where that team has been previously. So. Um, I would be shocked to see him not return to this car. I, I think that the only way that it, it, it doesn't happen is if for some reason they, they really want to bring Cindric up and put him in that car. Uh, other than that, I, I would be very, very surprised to see Matty D not return to the 21 car. I think it's the right fit for them. I think that as time goes, you got to remember, this is only their first year together and they made the playoffs, which I think is decent. You know, as he and Greg, um, Greg Gerwin, the crew chief, you know, gained probably some more chemistry and, and they start to gel a little bit better. You, you'll probably only see bigger and better things out of that group. So, uh, again, I would be thoroughly surprised to see any change other than potentially Cindric uh, making, you know, the move to the Cup Series. But um, with, with, I guess this might be a slight tangent. I'm beginning to think we won't see any Xfinity guys move up uh, to the Cup Series next year. I think a lot of those changes will be made in time for the next-gen car. So um would be very, very surprised to see a change made with the 21. Yeah, I have to echo the same uh, comments uh, as Andy and Mike here. Uh, I think it would be a huge surprise if Matt DiBenedetto is not back with uh, the Wood Brothers for next season. And uh, I think if they're, if they're going to bring Cindric up, and I'm not convinced that that's going to happen, uh, it would it might be as a third car at Team Penske, but I think that with the uh, new car for the Cup Series uh, not coming out until 2022, we're going to see, uh, I think, Cindric back in the Xfinity Series for next year. So I think I think, um, I, think uh, this, I think he'll be back, and uh, I don't I'm not too worried about it. So Jay, what are your thoughts? And if the breaking news here was that Mike was a uh, Matt DiBenedetto fan, I mean, that's just crazy. <laughs> Next, you're going to tell me Andy's a Clint Boyer fan or something. You don't um, say. <laughs> uh, yeah. A couple of weeks ago, and Sharon's kind of bailing on me here, but a couple of weeks ago, we kind of thought that maybe DiBenedetto was in line for the Hendrick team, and they weren't announcing it because well, he was still in the playoffs. Now, I and think, it, yeah. Go ahead. I'm well, not really and, and feeling, I, but go ahead. No, I, I understand. I mean, and I didn't realize that it, it from what we're reading there, it's it's the Wood Brothers under Team Penske of their option to pick him up 
So that maybe that's what he's, he's in a box where he can't do nothing. The one thing I look at now too, it seems like the Kyle Larson to Hendrick Motorsports has picked up more steam. So maybe we were off, off track on that. Um, I do think Matt is a good fit at the Wood Brothers. My concern is if the plan then is for Cindric one more year in the Xfinity, is Matt going to be on another one-year deal where he's in threat of losing his ride again the following year to Austin Cindric possible, possibly when they are ready to bring him up? And next year, all these other rides that are available aren't available. So I feel kind of bad for the position he's in. Um, but I do think he is a good fit there in, in any team that gets a, a second year to work together as they continue to build and pick up momentum, learn their communication is a great thing. So I do see where he's a good fit. I think he would be a, a, a good fit over at Hendrick Motorsports as well. But we'll have to see how that plays out. It's kind of interesting. Like I said, I almost feel bad, though, that uh, the position he might be in if it's for another one-year deal. Well, I think uh, by the sheer nature of the – uh, post that Bob Pockris put out this afternoon that it's clear that uh, Hendrick Motorsports hasn't been knocking on Matt's door. <laughs> so, Mike, what are your thoughts, your follow-up on this? Well, we kind of talked about it uh, a couple weeks ago with regard to Ford's presence in the Xfinity series. Uh, and I think that probably, land, and it, it, again, this is probably us uh, a, Showing up our own our own theories and speculation here, but if Ford is trying to expand their presence in the Xfinity series, like it seems like they are, they probably would want to retain a marquee driver who can go out and win every weekend, like Austin Sindrick. So moving Sindrick or Briscoe or both of them into the Cup series would probably be counterproductive to what Ford is trying to do in the Xfinity series because now they would have to bring in another new driver who would have to learn the equipment, learn you know all it takes to be a winner in the Xfinity series. So making Austin Sindrick kind of the, the Ford uh, poster boy for the Xfinity series, I think that uh, that kind of lends itself to say that, yeah, Sindrick is probably going to return to the Xfinity series next year, potentially with an expanded Ford presence in the series itself. Okay, uh, Andy, follow up. Yeah, I mean, kind of the same along the same lines with with Briscoe too. I think you know to you know like Cindric at Team Penske, they'll they'll probably hold on to him and, and figure out a, a cup spot for him in twenty two. I think that um, I do the same thing with Briscoe um, with SHR. I, I feel like that um, they'll probably this is just me speculating, but they'll probably bring bring Clint back for, I guess, probably his retirement tour, and then you'll probably see some changes, you know, with their cup stable for 22. So, um, yeah, probably hold on to those guys for another year in the Xfinity Series like we saw Toyota do with Christopher Bell. And uh, I I think you'll start to see elevations, and not just those two either. I'm sure there's, you know, other guys, you know, like like, uh, Gregson and, you know, Harrison Burton and some others that you'll probably see moved up here in the next, you know, couple of years. So, um, I don't think it's a bad thing if those guys wind up staying uh, in the Xfinity Series only because, you know, instead of learning the current cup car and then learning a new cup car, you know, you, you stay with what you know for a year and then you learn the new cup car uh, the first time out. So, um, that's kind of what I'm thinking is going to happen. And, of course, I don't think all the dominoes have fallen just yet in the Xfinity Series, so, or, or the Cup Series, rather. But um, 
starting to kind of see things take shape. I mean, to me, the big mystery is the 48 car. I got nothing on that. Every time I think I know what's going to happen, <laughs> it doesn't come to fruition. So I, I really have zero clue what's going to happen with that car. That, to me, is the big mystery right now. Well, I kind of get the feeling that they've known what's going to happen and just have been very, very tight-lipped about it. So uh, we'll have to wait and see what happens there. But, Jay, what are your final comments on this topic? Yeah, they have certainly been tight-lipped on it. I mean, we've heard a lot of rumors and a lot of talk, but like you said, every time you think you know what's going on. Uh, I, t- I took Kyle Larson to Hendrick Motorsports as my one driver just to give uh, Mike a chance in our bet, and I'll be like, I'll just take him as one that's not going to happen, and that really might end <laughs> up getting me the win. So uh, you don't know, and, and you're right. I mean, we've heard a lot of different – things to it but from the Hendrick Motorsports camp or anything even semi-solid it's been absolutely nothing and and that to me is one of the biggest dominoes obviously you know at one point we had Jimmy Johnson returning to it and doing another year um so and we know that's not happening uh so we'll have we'll have to wait and see but again if Matt and D Benedetto wherever he goes going back to that if 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 he gets picked up and stays at Penske with the Wood Brothers, I do think it is a good thing. Hopefully it works out for him long-term in the future because uh, I do like him as a driver. Well, I think I kind of get the feeling Hendrick Motorsports, the folks there who know what's going on, are sitting back right with a big chuckle at all of our theories and speculation about what's going to happen with that number 48. Um, so it's going to be fun when it finally does come out. Okay, uh, we are coming up at the uh, – bottom of the hour and it's time for us to uh, do our round table of goodbyes here or sign off so uh mike let's start with you mike orzell on facebook mike underscore orzell on twitter just had an article published regarding william byron and his uh appearance in the playoffs and his need for a clutch performance this weekend at bristol so check that one out looking forward to the racing this weekend at bristol and i'll beat the drum again don't forget uh, voting is open for the nascar most popular driver one vote per driver per day per series don't forget to get your votes in. They count double if you share those votes on Facebook or Twitter. Not going to tell you who to vote for, but Matthew Benedetto, please, in the Cup Series. <laughs> uh, no uh, shame there. Um, okay, Jay, you're next. Mike, you got anything you want to add there leading into me uh, doing mine? Are you going to your <laughs> capital city raceway this weekend? Jackson Motor Speedway is running, but uh, the big mouth of the Mid-South will not be there as I'm headed to the land at 10,000 Lakes. Uh, taking a trip up to Minnesota, my nephew Josh, and I know he's a listener, so uh, celebrating his wedding, which happened in February, but they held off on the uh, wedding reception here till September, so I'm going to go up and uh, help celebrate that with them. But Jackson Motor Speedway, your capital city raceway, will be running down here. Uh, and I will work on sharing. I know I told you I had, I had a lot of things going on. Chase Elliott should make this second round, so I have to follow up following Bristol uh, and hit that highlight there for you. But you can follow me on Mopar or uh, Mopar MJ8 on Twitter and Instagram, and Michael Hoosman on Facebook. And I know we got a couple picks left. We didn't get to go over it. I will highlight this, though. The truck series for our fantasy racing is now tied. Andy and Sam are tied at 58. And in the cup series, Andy and myself are only three points apart. So a lot of big things moving there as well. 
still killing the Xfinity series, though, right? Yeah, 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 whatever. We aren't talking about that. We're getting thumped there. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Okay, Andy? (laughs) SHR14-98 fan on Twitter, and uh, I'm actually going to write that Boyer piece today, Sharon, so I'll have that to you later on. And uh, just in time for him to maybe make the next round of the playoffs, I guess we'll find out Saturday night. Uh, Yeah, it's going to be crazy. That cut line is ridiculous, and – you know, it's Bristol, and I think that with the added pressure, it's uh, probably going to be pretty crazy Saturday night. So really looking forward to that, and um, obviously uh, weather-dependent, we'll uh, hopefully be in the chat for the truck race later on tonight. Okay. I'll definitely be around for the truck race. I'm not sure I'm going to be around. I've got a super busy weekend this weekend with uh, family reunion and all kinds of things going on. So uh, I probably won't be around well, actually, I will be around uh, for that night because the family reunion is going to be during the day. So uh, that is a night race, so maybe I will be able to be there for that. I won't be there, though, for the Xfinity race uh, because uh, I've got some things going on Friday night. It's Friday Friday night is, is Fire Pit Friday, so I can't do Friday nights. Um, okay, so... Uh, I am Fan for Racing site on Twitter, Fan for Racing blog and radio elsewhere, including fanforacing.com. And, uh, yes, we put up uh, Mike's article about uh, William Byron uh, this week, and uh, that was a nice article. Uh, looking forward to getting the Chase Elliott and Clint Boyer. Uh, I'm kind of working on one for Martin Truex Jr., and I think Sal's got uh, – one coming in for me on Cole Custer. So I'm hoping to get that article uh, sometime soon as well. So watch for those to be coming out. Uh, Sam put out an article on the recap from the Richmond races this past weekend. He'll have a recap on Bristol. And he's doing that new piece uh, that he's going to be putting out uh, after the close of the rounds for the Cup Series giving some predictions and thoughts about uh, what's happening with the round. So watch for that new piece coming out from Sam. I'm expecting tonight to get the um, uh, the cash or pass piece from Owen, so uh, that should be coming out over the weekend here uh, sometime before Saturday as well. So watch for that. Um, and I think that's all we have for right now. A big thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in. We appreciate all of you. And uh, we hope you'll come back for our Monday night broadcast uh, after the races at Bristol. And uh, that starts at 8.30 p.m. We're back to Thursday night next week. Uh, so we'll be doing the Thursday night show also starting at 8, uh, 30 p.m. So uh, back to our regular schedule for next week. So that'll be nice. Uh, and with that, I think we're ready to call it a wrap. So uh, it's time to say good night. Have a good See one. See ya. Enjoy the races. Good night, everybody. Enjoy Bristol.
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.